tested, animal tested. Do you know how many chemicals are in this stuff? Hey, I don't care if you go bald. Just get it and let's go. Jojo. He is a chemist. It's entirely too much heroin and too much ether for just nobody to know nothing. What is he talking about? Well, you know the barrels of ether that blew up on the ice cream truck? They were going to use that to process the heroin. Yeah, they do that to cut it. It like quadruples the value. Yeah, you can't just stick it in the microwave. Think you on something. Look, let's just pay for this, all right? Hey. Hey, how much is that? Fourteen twenty-five. Damn. Now, you know what? I must have left my wallet somewhere. Freeze, mother bitches! Don't you move. Hey, I'm not understanding. I, I really don't. Shut but, up! I mean, do you just attract violent people? Fuck up. Take it easy. Hey. All right? We are police officers. We're not police officers. I'm not stupid. I know. What, 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 I know. what are you? I'm seeing police. I'm going to reach for my badge, okay? Badges? Do you want badges, mother bitch? I give you badges. Here, 99 cents each. I sell you something. You got eight fucking badges. I told you this cop thing yeah. don't work. I blow you. Then I blow you. Blow me? What the fuck? No. Hot me. That's no, I'm right. the Middle East. I kid before. I kill again. Hot me, please. I'm gonna Hold blow on. you. Hot oh, me. Hold on. Do you see the fucking emotion I'm going through right now? That means this shit is serious, okay? That means me and this motherfucker's not vibing right now. That's what that shit means, okay? You hey, got something on your chest? I got something that's one of the Do you want something? Hello? 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 You guys got a cannon. What do you want? Do you want some? I want some. You want some bad enough, then you come get some. Wait. Hey, freeze, bitch. You freeze, bitch. Oh, shit. I'm fucked. Now back up. Put the gun down and give me a pack of tropical fruit bubblicious and some Skittles. Hey, I'm Michael Bay, and I am a strong believer in protecting the cinema experience. I demand things to be awesome. Awesome as you can. Back and forth and back and forth. Jake is so intense. I started laughing, that's when I said, this is so stupid, but he looked great. Oh my god, you're Michael Bay! Oh my god, I am Michael Bay. Here we go! Ready, and fire! Welcome everyone to the Film Effect Podcast, and more importantly, welcome to Bayhem Month here on the show. Through the entire month of May, every Tuesday we'll be given a different Michael Bay flick, our signature full film effect treatment. That's five different Michael Bay-centric episodes over the next five weeks. You ready to do this? Hell yeah, I am. Alright, I'm Ed. And I'm Corey. And this is Bad Boys. It was brilliant. Foolproof. It was the perfect crime. But for Miami detectives Marcus Burnett and Mike Lowry, it was the ultimate nightmare. This was our career bust, which is what, $100 million? Just do what you do, only faster. Let's try to do this right. No gunshots, no dead bodies. Well, you know, if I recall correctly, the last couple dead bad guys belong to you. 
You ain't even trying to compare body counts. Why? Uh, should I keep going all day? I'm out. I'm out. Now, this case. We got 72 hours before the FBI and the DEA walk in here and shut us down. You know, you drive almost slow enough to drive Miss Daisy. This murder. And this witness. You, you, you ain't with the bad guys now. You with the cops. Two hip detectives. Hip. Hip. It starts to lose its meaning after a while. Hip. Hip. <laughs> it's not even a word. Protect the witness to a murderer while investigating a case of stolen heroin from the evidence storage room from their police precinct. Bad Boys Baby. What an unexpected franchise this series became when it all started with this little hit from 1995. Like, we've got peak Martin Lawrence. He was right in the middle of his television show on Fox. Then there's that crazy young Will Smith running around back when he still appeared to be this humble guy who just wanted to make the world happier with each performance. I mean, Martin Lawrence still has top billing of Will Smith in this movie. And I was going to point that out. Yeah, yeah, I noticed that too. He's got top billing. And there's just this newness that surrounds this entire movie watching it again. Like, we got first-time director Michael Bayhelm in the project. Big Willie's still breaking out. Taylor Leone's still an up-and-comer. It was just all new to everyone, including myself. But man, what a way to kick off such a career that we'll be covering over the next several weeks. Once again, this is Bayhem Month, people. Uh, Coy, where are you at on Bad Boys? Um, yeah, I've always been a big fan of Bad Boys. I mean, you know, the important thing is knowing its place. It's just... The type of movie, it looks pretty, it's fun to watch, and I can turn my brain off, and I've always appreciated it. Um, you know, I've always been a fan of uh, Martin Lawrence. Not so much his stand-up, but I've always been a fan of him in comedies. You know, are they high art? No, but I don't know. I find him amusing in a lot of different movies, so I was totally on board. And then obviously uh, Will Smith, you know, which is... You know, this is just when he was breaking in with uh, this and Independence Day, breaking into films. Uh, but yeah, I've always enjoyed Bad Boys. I mean, I, you know, if you had to ask me, I, w- I would say I like Bad Boys 2 better just because of how 
long and overwrought and huge that movie is and just how ridiculous it is. Uh, but this one has a lot of the seedlings of it. And, you know, I would characterize this as kind of like the proto Bay film, uh, you know, the proto Michael Bay movie. This is obviously his first one. And you see a lot of the things you see in his other films in this one. So, yeah, I'm really excited to talk about it. But, yeah, I've always been a fan. Yeah, and what a franchise this this became. Um, I'm sh- we've got Bad Boys 2 coming up later on this month, of course. But uh, I would love to tackle Bad Boys for Life one day because I like that movie a lot. So, um, But, yeah, but what a franchise this became and, and what a career that this man, you know, started with this. Uh, it's not too crazy this movie compared to other films that he would go on to do but uh it's just it's that right balance of comedy and action i i feel yeah i i forgot how much of a 80s type movie this is i mean obviously came out in 95 so it wasn't that far removed but you know it really is just an 80 80s comedy buddy cop movie with michael bay directing it that i forgot how much that is now bad boys 2 that's far more a Michael Bay movie. This one, though, I, I, I didn't realize it until I rewatched it. And, you know, it, it's just funny. I don't know. I, I didn't even think, realize it until just now. What? Just the, how, like, close this was. Like, it, it, if you take Michael Bay out of this, this is just almost a straight 80s um, buddy cop movie to me if you take michael bay kind of out of the equation and the directing and the flair that he brings to it so i i I guess i just forgot that i always just thought this was Mm. this is kind of like an amalgamation of a you know bay movie or like i said a proto bay movie i i just forgot how kind of tame and a little bit different this is from a lot of his other movies oh yeah oh yeah because you know he's still getting his feet wet so to speak so he still has a lot of He's still got a ways to go from this film, but uh, like I said, it's a good stepping stone. So let's jump into it. First time viewings. Uh, it's, it's just that. You see, this is actually uh, my, my first time. No, no, my first, it's my first time uh, since my first time. So technically, that's my second time. And I don't, I don't, I don't want to suck at it. So if I'm not up to... I remember renting this for the first time with my Uncle John. Uh, when it first came out on video, he we rented it from Drug City. It was a Drug City rental one night, um, and I was in sixth grade, and I watched it with him. It, I remember that night we were in my grandparents' living room watching it, and I just fucking loved it. And I remember going to school the next day and uh, talking to my buddy Frank Nelson. Shout out Frank about this movie. Um, we would actually go on and and talk about this for a long time. Like this was like our common ground between me and Frank was this movie because this was the kind of the thing that got us uh, to become friends was just quoting this movie and shit. So I mean, still to this day, uh, him and I will you know throw a couple of quotes you know each way and uh, we'll totally get what's going on with, with the other per- what the other person is referencing. So. Um, yeah, I've always, you know, um, remember that um, clear as day. Drug City, Uncle John, back in, uh, I guess, not late 95 when this uh, when it first came out on video. How about you? So mine's pretty similar to yours in the fact that it was definitely a rental. Uh, it was me and my brother, my brother Eric, watching it. Um, we rented it. I remember I wasn't too excited about it. 
I honestly didn't really care that much, but my brother was a huge Martin Lawrence fan back in the day. Like he watched the show, like he would watch reruns of the show, Martin, um, you know, right. he loved any movie he was in. Obviously some of the movies I'm going to name came out later, but like blue streak, um, nothing to lose. Like he was just a fan of any Martin Lawrence movie show, comedy, whatever. So we rented it. And I remember we're sitting down watching it, you know, we're sitting up in our old room. We used to share a room together and I'm like, Whoa, this has got some style to it. Like, you know, and then obviously I, you know, I knew who Will Smith was. Like I, I watched fresh Prince and I was like, wow, Will Smith, a lot different in this than fresh Prince. And, you know, I just remember being impressed. I was like, it kind of, I was on the fence when we first started watching it, but it really grabbed me just with, uh, you know, which we'll get into with Bay's visual style. Uh, and then obviously the chemistry between the two leads, uh, just really got me into it. And I ended up really enjoying it. And I think I texted you about this, Ed, but I totally didn't realize this. I don't think I've seen this movie in probably 20 something years. I mean, I definitely have seen it, but like, I think every time I've gone back to bad boys, I've gone back to bad boys too. <laughs> like not the first one. Um, because rewatching it, I'm like, wow, I don't remember. I remembered a few things, uh, out of the movie, which, you know, like I remember when the drugs get robbed, uh-huh. I remember some of the end scene, but I did not remember basically anything else in the movie. I was like, I don't remember know when the last time I've seen this movie. Cause I thought I had seen it recently, but I realized right. A lot of the things I remembered were in Bad Boys 2. So it it was good going back to this because I really don't think I've seen this movie in probably over 20 years. That's how long it's been. But Bad Boys 2 I've watched more recently, but not, uh, not right. this one. So it was good going back. All right, story time. Tell me a story. Wait. Like my story? No, not your story. A story. Since you can't keep your mouth shut long enough for me to read my paper, tell me a story. I don't think I know any stories. You don't know any stories? No. All right, I'll tell you a story. This is a newspaper, right? It's 90% bullshit, but it's entertaining. That's why I read it, because it entertains me. You won't let me read it. So you entertain me with your bullshit. Tell me a story right now. Go. Gather around, everyone. I'm about to tell you all an explosive story that involves the director of a World War II-inspired Coca-Cola commercial and wingers can't get enough music video and how this man suddenly broke into the industry in a big, big way. Like I said, Michael Bay, gotta start somewhere. So, actually, I've never really sat down to go do a little researching on this man before. Had no idea he worked on Raiders of the Lost Ark. I had no idea he directed the Got Milk commercial back in the day. I knew he was a big, big music video uh, director. And that's why he got this gig. Because Bruckheimer and Don Simpson uh, you know, saw his stuff and wanted to get him. They, they kind of wanted to do something that Michael Bay himself would do years later with his Platinum Dunes company. And they kind of wanted to do this idea where they would take music directors and music video directors and, and, you know, kind of see what they've got with a future film. And that's what they did with Michael Bay. And now Michael Bay's doing it with platinum dunes. That's why all of these horror remakes that his company produces has a different music video director to it. And that that's never done anything else. And quite frankly, hasn't done anything since 
that said remake or uh, whatever it is. Uh, Marcus Nispel, uh, Samuel Bayer, uh, you name it. A lot of those people, you know, came from the music industry and got a crack at film the same way Bay did back in 94, 95 with this. And um, they obviously didn't go anywhere the way Michael Bay did. Uh, because not everybody can be Michael Bay. Um, and yeah, like I said, 94, Simpson and Bruckheimer were like, hey, let me give this guy a shot. And uh, shooting in Miami would turn out to be a good experience for Bay. I will get into that in a little bit. Uh, but yeah, it would just turn out to be just this career that's massive. And in a sense that it's not like the man has a lot of films under his belt. Because he doesn't. It's funny too. Because you take out them Transformers movies. That just just kind of occupied his career for about a decade. And his movies are like kind of perfectly placed. They're not like, you know. He, he doesn't do like two movies a year and shit like that. Like in, in the beginning, he was doing films. Like he had a film like every couple years. A different film. Like this. And then The Rock. And then... Uh, what we did, what did he do after the rock? I, I I can't really go through his filmography right now off the top of my head. Uh he did the rock after that. Armageddon, duh. You know, and and yeah. So what are your earliest memories of Michael Bay? Uh I mean, obviously I saw Bad Boys when I rented it, but the first time I really uh took notice for Bay as the director, because obviously I saw Bad Boys, but I don't remember at the time thinking, oh, this Michael Bay guy. I just remember seeing the visual styles like, oh, wow. You know, at that point, I was still fairly young. I wasn't I was in the movies, yeah, the f- but I wasn't, you know, it wasn't the same way I am now. But it wasn't being it wasn't it wasn't being pushed as a Michael Bay film the way Michael Bay films are being pushed today, because back then no one knew who the fuck no. this guy was. You know, no. So I I remember Armageddon was really when his name started when I started hearing his name, uh, and then realizing kind of what he was because up until that point, like Bruckheimer was more of a rec- recognizable name for me because you had the you know Bruckheimer intro, so I always associated that kind of with Bay movies until that point. But you know, Armageddon is when I first remember hearing about uh, Michael Bay, and then I heard, you know, I always knew he did the Got Milk commercial, and I always knew he did music videos, and, you know, it made sense to me after I realized that just with, uh, you know, quick cuts and uh, just the frenetic energy and stuff like that he brings to it. Uh, but yeah, Armageddon, I just remember that whole hype train of having the Aerosmith song and... Uh, you know, the movie out and I, I just remember seeing like Bay on different interviews. To me, that's when I really first was learning, you know, the Bay him and the Bay name. Yeah, that's really when it took off was Armageddon because, you know, Bad Boys and The Rock, they're not really crazy films. I mean, The Rock's kind of crazy. The whole idea of Alcatraz being, you know, taken under hostage and, 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 and shit like that. Um, I, I don't know. It it just it wasn't nuts the way Armageddon was. I mean, Armageddon is just a film even to this day, twenty four years later, it's just a film in its own league. You've got action films, you've got dramas, you've got horror films, you've got comedies, and then you've got Armageddon. It's just <laughs> 
a film in its own category. It's nuts. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I mean, it's, that's actually the next film that we'll be talking about. Uh, I got Sean on for that one coming up. So I'm just going to save my thoughts and, and comments on Armageddon until next week. Um, yeah. And But for now, go on. No, I was going to say, before we move on, I just wanted something you said uh, just made me, just caught my ear. You know, about how Bay hasn't done a ton of films. And I think that's mainly because he only does the big action blockbuster type movies, you know, other than Pain and Gain, uh, you know, and I could be missing another one out of his filmography. But, you know, they're all these big action uh, summer blockbusters. So I don't think you can bang two or three of those out within a few years. You know, it, it takes time. It takes a lot of time and effort to set all that stuff up. And to get the studio to pay for it. So I think there's a reason Bay has only done, you know, one movie every couple of years, which obviously it's still a, a shitload of movies over his career. But compared to other filmmakers who maybe make a big movie and then a small movie or a couple small movies, you know, Bay doesn't do that. Bay just started out on the big blockbuster and has stayed there ever since, pretty much. Yeah. I mean, they're not all winners. I just want to put that out there right now. Oh yeah, <laughs> uh, I just, I you know I I'm sitting here thinking, like I, I'm kind of coming off as like this big fucking Michael Bay fanboy and shit. I mean I'm I'm not the huge the biggest Michael Bay fan. Um, spoiler alert. <laughs> I I think he's got some great films, but I also think he has some horrible, wretched yeah. films. I mean I um, I strongly dislike look, a lot of the Transformers, other than. Probably the first one, I strongly dislike all the Transformers. I'm not saying there's no good things in those movies, but uh, yeah, I'm not a. I strongly dislike a lot of those, other than the well, first there's, one. There's a reason I didn't schedule a single one for this event. Um, even the first, I like the first one, but I, I don't know. I just don't really feel like sitting here and talking about it. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's Transformers, okay. It, it's just, I'm always going to see them as the movies that just occupied, you know, the man's career for about 10 years. Like, kind of the same way Avatar has consumed Cameron's career. It's it just, he couldn't get away from him. And he's still fucking with these movies as, as a producer now. And, and, you know, even, let's see, he's, he, since he started Transformers... He had two movies that he kind of did that were sandwiched in between uh, sequels. He did Pain Again first, which we will be talking about this month. Um, I've actually got that episode scheduled with Justin. And he did 13 Hours, The Secret Soldiers of Pagazi, which I've seen one time. Yeah. Couldn't tell you a thing about it. It's got John Krasinski. John, um, Krasinski. Krasinski. I don't know why I'm trying to say something else. But John Krasinski... And um, it was okay. Uh, That's what I remember. I, I saw it on Blu-ray. Yeah. It, it was fine. Nothing, nothing great. Nothing terrible. But since he's wrapped up directing duties on the the Transformers movies, like I did not care for Six Underground, the Netflix film that he did. I didn't um, watch it with Ryan Reynolds. And I'm curious to see Ambulance. I I actually kind of want to see it. 
Um, I do too. If it's still in theaters, maybe I'll go see it this week. But uh, I'm more optimistic on that just by who else is involved with it. The Six Underground, I don't know. Ryan Reynolds is hit or miss for me. Like he's good in some stuff, and I, I less Bay more so. Ryan Reynolds was like, oh, I don't know if I can take those two together. So I passed on that for now. I mean, I'll probably watch it eventually, but I passed on it. I Before we move on, I want to get your thoughts. What are your thoughts on the island? <laughs> I think this is the worst movie. Really? Okay. I was going to say, yeah. I don't think it's great, but I didn't think it was as bad as everybody says it, it was. I already I think, watched it a couple of years ago. I think it's his worst movie, and that includes the Transformer films. Oh. So that's, Jesus that's where I stand on the island. Um, yeah, I just no. I I I've tried watching it twice and just it's no, no. The whole clone thing and shit and uh, I don't know. This wasn't for me. Sorry. Um, let's do live top five. Rob, it's your turn. Okay. I'm feeling kind of basic today. Top five side ones, track ones. Janie Jones, Clash, from The Clash. Hey. Let's get it on, Marvin Gaye from Let's Get It On. Nirvana, Smells Like Teen Spirit off of Nevermind. Oh no, Rob, that's not obvious enough, not at all. How about uh, Point of No Return on Point of No Return? Lewis, so you can uh, get up a- Shut up, <laughs> shut up. White Light, White Heat, Velvet Underground. Okay, that would be on my list. Though not and on mine. Massive Attack, No Protection, the song is Radiation oh. Ruling the Nation. Top five Jerry Bruckheimer films. You name the man first, let's do a top five. Uh, my number five, Con Air. Start simple. Love Con Air, big fan, saw it in the theater. Um, one of these days we'll get to it on the show. But uh, yeah, that's how I'm going to kick this off with Con Air. How about you? Hell yeah. Uh, so I wanted to give an honorable mention. Um, Pirates of the Caribbean, uh, Curse of the Black Pearl. I just had that on my list a couple weeks ago uh, on one of the, the pirate uh, pirate top five. So I didn't want to put it on here, but um, normally that would probably be on my top five for this. Um, But anyway, my number top five might be a controversial one. It's not a lot of people don't think it's a good movie, but I like it. I've always enjoyed it. Um, It's gone in 60 seconds. Um, The one with Nick Cage. Yeah, that almost made my number five, honestly. But I was thinking to myself, I cannot make that over. I can't put that on the list over Con Air. No way. Yeah. So yeah, I'm a I'm a fan too. I'm not gonna lie. I saw it in theaters, uh, twice actually, and it's it's a wild movie. It's got kind of an all star cast. Um, yeah, stacked cast. I haven't seen it in a while. It's been like five years or so since I've seen it. But uh, hey, man, it's got Timothy Olyphant, so can't yeah. complain. It's as bad as you probably think it is, but it's still enjoyable to me just because, you know, obviously, like you said, the cast, Nick Cage. And it's just fun. Like, it's just fun watching the whole crew interact. I love that big crew heist-type movie, and it nails that part pretty well. So, yeah, I've always I've always enjoyed it. I've, I vaguely remember uh, Christopher Eccleston having, like, the worst cringeworthy one-liners in that movie. Like, wasn't, like, one of the characters' names, like, something Reigns? And, like, at the end of one of his conversations, he actually signs off saying, like, it never rains, but it pours. And I'm like, oh, he just fucking said that. God damn it. Oh, yeah. So, other than that, though, yeah, I'm a big fan of that movie, too. I just, 
don't like it more than Con Air. So, oh, it's my turn, number four. <laughs> uh, Beverly Hills Cop. I'm looking forward to covering them films this summer. Spoiler alert: we have it on the list. Um, but yeah, it's, it's just wait for the episode, and and I'll tell you much many more reasons why you know it's it's on my list and why I, I'm a, such a fan of it. So. What about you, Core? Which number four? So my number four is one we're going to be covering soon, uh, The Rock. Um, probably my favorite Michael Bay film. If not, it's close. I mean, Armageddon's up there. there you know, there's a couple of other Why close. the fuck are you on this episode and not The Rock? Uh, I don't know. My brother's on The Rock episode. I don't know. I guess your brother wanted to cover it. I'm not sure. Uh, okay. It's fine. Um, but yeah, The Rock... Uh, you know, depending on what day you ask me is my favorite. I just love uh, Nick Cage because his role in that movie is like the biochemist is perfect. Sean Connery's awesome. Um, you know, the whole cast is great. Just the whole idea of bioterrorism and hostages on Alcatraz and just the way it pulls it off. It's got the fucking bit Nick Cage with the big ending with the flares. And I just love every fucking second of it. Michael Bean makes a quick uh, appearance in it so yeah it wins points for that in my book but I've always loved the rock who makes a quick appearance Michael Bean Michael Bean he plays uh the uh, he, oh yeah. bean I'm thinking dude I, I I pronounce it Bane bean Bane tomato tomato okay yeah it threw me off it's like I'm like who the fuck is like, bean? you don't remember him in that movie? oh Bane <laughs> no of course he has that awesome monologue before he gets shot the shit yeah um yeah it's um Tony Todd's in that movie too so looking forward to rewatching that and covering it in a few weeks all right let's get to my number three a film that we just covered recently with the spy hearts guys and that is enemy of the state Tony Scott filmed right here in Baltimore, baby. Um, and as for why, check out the episode. We did it about two months ago. Previous episode, Enemy of the State. All right, Cor, what about you? So my number three is National Treasure. Um, so this one surprised me because it probably wouldn't have been on my list a few months ago, but I recently rewatched it and... It's just such a ridiculous movie, but it's fun, and Nick Cage totally pulls it together in the lead. I don't think this movie would have been nearly as good without Nick Cage in the lead, but having that Jerry Bruckheimer big production as well. Completely ridiculous movie, but fun and easy to watch. So yeah, National Treasure makes my number three. You know, I have never seen any of those films before. Not a single one. I mean, there's only two, but... I mean, and Maybe because of the fact that I've that I'm, I'm thinking there's more because it's been on. I feel like I've been hearing it brought up a lot in news because apparently that Dis, excuse me, Disney Plus is doing a potential show where they're doing casting. There must have been some news breaking recently that just threw me off and that's probably why I thought that there's more than two movies when in reality it's two films and a potential TV show. So, or has that been confirmed or are they just, is it a rumor mill? Thing, uh, I think it? it's just a rumor, but yeah, I did think it was funny when you're like, I haven't seen any of these films. I'm like, what, two? Like, <laughs> that's, and the second one isn't that great. Just, just watch the first one. The first one's good. Gotcha. All right. Uh, my number two is The Rock. 
Uh, I fucking love The Rock. Uh, duh. And, um, yeah, like I said, looking forward to covering it in a couple weeks with my brother. It's going to be a fun episode. How about you, Core? What's your number two? So my number two is one uh, you already had on your list. Uh, my number two is Con Air. Um, one of my favorite all-time Nick Cage action-type movies. Uh, I remember seeing it in theaters as well because I think we were on vacation and it was like... I was there. You weren't? No. We were on vacation. Like, we were staying uh, at, like, a ski resort or something. I don't know. We were at some kind of timeshare thing or something like that. I thought that you went with us across the street to uh, North Point Theaters to to see it. With uh, Andy and Alan and all that. Because we all definitely walked over there. Well, maybe we saw it. the first films that we saw there. Yeah, but I mean, maybe we saw it. Maybe I saw it like beforehand because I I distinctly remember we true, possible we saw it. Um, it was my family. We went to like one of those timeshare things where if you sit through the thing, you get like a free long weekend staying at like a resort. So we did that. Mm. Uh, but I remember it was like raining or whatever reason. So we went to the mall and the mall where we were at. I don't remember where this was, but the mall we were at had like a small movie theater, and I remember it was like the shittiest movie theater. Because, like, these seats were, like, basically glorified folding chairs. Like, it was this little theater, and I wasn't too happy, but then the movie started, and that all melted away. <laughs> I was enjoying <laughs> enjoying myself with some Nick Cage. Just give me the damn bunny. Like, I just... That yeah. whole movie, I love um, John Malkovich as uh, Cyrus the Virus. Uh, I mean, that's a great cast, but I, I especially Malkovich is just fucking chewing up that scenery and spitting it out. So is Nick Cage. Malkovich fucking stealing the old Corvette and like racing and the Corvette gets pulled behind the plane. I love that movie, so I can't wait to talk about that one. Just so ridiculous, and but so fun. Dude. I'll tell you one person who doesn't like that fucking movie. It's Cusack himself. He fucking hates that movie. Oh, really? He's going to go back and bitch right. about that movie when he <laughs> look at his filmography yeah. recently? Oh, God, dude. John Cusack hates the shit out of Con Air. Um, Google it. It's, it's a funny story. Um, so, number one for me, a film that we just covered... Probably one year ago this week. It's been pretty... We're coming up on the one-year anniversary if it hasn't already happened. And that is Michael Mann's uh, Thief. <laughs> you about to say uh, Heat? <laughs> I was about to say Heat. Thief. Uh, just such a great film. Uh, a really overlooked movie that I still, to this day, feel... I feel very strongly about. And uh, not enough people... Uh, have seen the movie and and it's a damn shame so uh again if you haven't seen thief i implore you to see it and uh afterwards check out our previous episode me and sean talked about it for a few hours last year it's good stuff thief 1981 you can grab it now on the uh criterion collection how about you core well so it's kind of funny because my number one is the same as yours, Thief. I had to put that at number no one. No fucking way. Yeah. Really? I, I'm a huge fan. I have the Criterion Blu-ray. Um, yeah. I'm a huge fan. Good I mean, fucking Jimmy Kahn owns that movie. <laughs> like, I I remember re-watching it um, a couple years back, and I, I was just fucking blown away. I was like, how have I not heard of that? Because I had never seen it previously up until a couple years ago. 
And I was like, how did I not know about this? Because I, I was going back watching some old Michael Mann stuff because I watched uh, Mindhunter that. Um, right. Trying to think if there's anything else. But it's some of his early filmography. And I, I was blown away. I was like, holy shit. Like, I did not know about this movie. And I loved it. I just loved the Tangerine Dream uh, score. Tangerine Jim- Dream score is just so breathtaking. And James Kahn is just a fucking saint. Yeah. Uh, and Robert Prosky, too, is the villain. Holy yeah, shit. Yeah, he was great. And then, um, what's his name? Belushi. Uh, I didn't Belushi. hate him. Like, he was actually normal in that movie, because <laughs> normally I right, hate him. Right. Um, but yeah, and it's funny, because I didn't even realize Michael Mann... I mean, not Michael Mann, fuck. I knew he directed it. I didn't even uh, remember Bruckheimer uh, produced this film until yeah. like I pulled up a list. Because honestly, if you'd have asked me earlier without me looking at anything, I would have probably said Conair was my number one. And then I was like, oh shit, Thief? I was like, well, that's my favorite movie out of these, I guess. So I guess I gotta put it as number one. Although, I will say it's like, when you say Bruckheimer, I don't think really hardly anybody thinks a thief. Like, they probably think of a lot of the other ones. Like, I listed, like, Con Air and The Rock or Armor. You know, just all the other right. big action movies. But, I mean, if you're asking me which one's my favorite, I mean, it's definitely Thief for sure. I think we can uh, dive into the movie now. Shall we talk about Bad Boys? Hell yeah. Let's talk about Bad Boys. <laughs> Before we talk about Bad Boys, let's break down some uh, brief background information, just like the last episode. I like doing this now. Uh, so Michael Bay was so enamored by the city of Miami that he actually went and invested in some property down there, some real estate, and he would also return to film both Bad Boys 2 and Pain Again. And it shows in those movies. It shows in this movie, hell, like his like love and admiration for the city like uh you were you see it like one of the first frames we're about to get into but uh according to michael bay sony bought the rights to the script from disney for three million dollars martin lawrence had signed on at that point and the studio wanted to team him up with arsidio hall but bay replaced uh decided to replace Hall for Willis Smith after noticing the potential for Smith's star power from the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. Hall turned it down and cites that choice as the worst mistake he has ever made. Um, the film's production was uh, extremely grueling for Michael Bay due to script problems. Bay would later call the screenplay a quote-unquote piece of shit, and budget limits would often men mean Bay would have to only a single day to shoot action sequences that would have taken four days of work um, any any other time. Bay sacrificed part of his salary so a key sequence during the film's climax wasn't eliminated. More on that later. Michael Bay recalls getting the project working under Don Simpson and Jerry Bruckheimer. Coming off a music video career, the director sold the producers on his ability to sell the film to a much younger audience than the uh, older English director that they were considering. The film was originally called Bulletproof Hearts. And do you know who's cast in this movie prior to uh, 
Smith and Lawrence. Adam Sandler. He <laughs> just said bulletproof. That's what made me think of. No, I don't know. I have no clue. Actually, Corey, you're actually not that far off if you want to keep guessing. There are a couple of SNL alumni around that same time frame, that era, early 90s. Yeah, honestly, I anyway, don't know. I don't know. Uh, it's John Lovitz as Marcus Burnett and Dana Carvey as Mike Lowry. Holy shit. Talk about a different fucking movie. I, I'm i just going to venture. I don't want to see that movie. I want to see this movie. I would pay to fucking see it. Dana Carvey as Mike Lowry. Yeah. I'm. I would pay to see it, but I would venture a guess it wouldn't have grossed nearly as much as it did at the box office. <laughs> Too fat, fucking, or a fat fucking white guy and Dana Carvey. He <laughs> like Dana Carvey like waking up with like a bunch of like Latina women like next to him and shit. Dana Carvey's just like kind of like I don't know, um, channeling his inner Garth with his arms behind his head like. Ooh. I just, I just imagine these two guys like in the car, and John Lovitz, John Lovitz is like, "Goddamn son, like I'm getting sunburned." <laughs> Garvey's like, "Imagine these too, two man. in the opening scene. Imagine these two in the opening scene with the fucking argument about the French fries and cup holders." I know <laughs> it's just it was like a completely different movie. I just, I it would just have like that dad version of it or something like that instead of these yeah. cool guy like cool bad boys it would just be i don't know like fucking whiny boys i don't don't know like it would just be weird shit it would be like a it would be like an action version of (laughs) grown-ups so um but anyway according to bay lovett's credits not doing the film for his career uh the the movie fell apart after an initial test shooting uh bay's way of showing the producers then Jeffrey Katzenberg, what his vision for the film was, and Carvey leaving the project. Bay went back to direct the music videos, and Simpson and Bruckheimer continued working to get the project off the ground. Uh, Don Simpson only arrived in Miami a week before filming was set to begin. Michael Bay noticed the producer hold himself in a hotel and came up with 85 pages worth of notes after reading the screenplay that they were working with. Essentially, 85 pages explaining... What was wrong with Bad Boys? Keep in mind while I'm telling you all this story here that uh, uh, Don Simpson was a notorious cokehead back in his time. Uh, so imagine what he was doing when he was locking himself up for uh, that, that, that time writing these 85 pages. He presented Bay with the notes two days before shooting began. Bay remembers he slammed the notes down on the table and said, Jerry, we're taking our names off this movie. Bay mentions the producers were more concerned with Crimson Tide, the film that they were doing with Disney, than this film. Uh, Filming began on June 27, 1994 and wrapped on August 31, 1994 after 65 days of filming. It's Michael Bay's only film to be under two hours with a running time of one hour and 59 minutes. And to date, this is also Michael Bay's only film and 185-1 aspect ratio. Uh, so yeah, let's get into the film itself. We are coming in hot, already starting with the theme song. Then we get this uh, opening carjacking going on with Marcus. Alright, so before the carjacking takes place, we got Marcus and Mike in the Porsche. It's Mike's limited edition. 
arguing about cup holders because uh, Mike's uh, Marcus is in there trying to enjoy a, a nice burger and fries, and apparently like Marcus is, or Mike's one of them like anal asses who won't let him do a damn thing in the car but just sit and watch. Um, and he like drops a couple fries down. And he like flips out about that. He, like pulls I, the car over. I had a question about this though. So like I never Some thought real about superficial it. shit. Yeah, it's about superficial shit, but I, I thought about this rewatching it and never thought about it before, but I'm like, well, why did he let him in the car with the fucking burger and fries? Like, did Martin Lawrence have it, like, tucked <laughs> under his shirt or some shit? Like, because I've never, I've never had a Porsche, but I'm not a huge fan, like, especially when I had my old uh, Mustang, like, I'm not a huge, I wasn't a huge fan of people eating in my car either, but I wouldn't let him get in the car with the food. And then bitch about it, I'd be like, fuck no, we're gonna eat before we leave, or something like that. Like, I don't know, it was just weird. Like, did Mar Lawrence, like, just pulled out of his ass? He's like, surprise! Yeah, like, I've never thought about that before. I don't I know. never once thought about that. Wow. Just didn't so, make sense. I don't know. Um, let's see. Yeah, so uh, they're arguing back and forth. Then we see the this other car pull up, these two guys. They, like, push out this, like, hot girl in the dress to kind of, like, distract them. And, um, these two guys get out of the car to carjack them. And I'm like, hey, look, kids, it's Kim Coates. And, uh... <laughs> I forgot he was the, in this movie. I, I mean, yeah. I, I know it's just a small part, but I was like, holy shit, Kim Coates and the fucking lineman from The Replacements. It's the fuck, I have it here, I have it, I have it in my notes here. Look, kids, it's Kim Coates and one of the built linebackers from The Replacements. That's funny as shit. Um, so yeah, there's an opening scene where Mike and Marcus were held up by the two carjackers that were shot in Los Angeles. Two weeks after principal photography had been completed, Columbia and Michael Bay wanted a better, more comedic introduction to the two lead characters than what was already in the film. And this is what we got. Arguing, a lot of orange tint going on. Like That's like the filter of this movie is orange. Um, and the, 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 they're, they're going back and forth. The two carjackers are kind of standing there with their guns and pointing at them. They're like, what the fuck is going on? We're trying to carjack you guys. And you guys are going back and forth about respect and manners and shit. And all of a sudden they turn the tables on them. Think uh, the linebacker dude gets a fucking swift kick in the balls while uh, Kim Coates gets knocked down, and because uh, he, he, he says something about, you know, I was a stand-up comedian, I sucked. Because after he turns the tables on him, like the, the the one line that Mike gets out before we see the title card is like, "Let's hear one of them jokes now, bitch," and then boom, we get we get the title card, "Bad Boys." Yeah, and I just want to say, like, it is a good introduction because they use this technique. Um, you know, that being Martin Lawrence and Will Smith's characters, they use this technique several times throughout the films of arguing. And obviously they're real arguing, but they know what they're doing. They're cognizant of what's happening and they're arguing and waiting for an opening because it is true. Like these two guys don't obviously want to kill them. They just want to carjack their car. But what do you do when the guys, they're both screaming at each other. You just stand there and wait. And then they wait for their opening. So it is like a good introduction and it is an effective strategy. You know, it confuses the shit out of people when you're screaming at each other the whole time and not worried about the carjack. So, yeah. So the Porsche 911 used in the opening scene was lent. Um, yeah, it was lent to the production by Michael Bay. The studio didn't want to run a car, 
the production didn't have the money to rent one, and Porus didn't want to support the film, so Michael Bay had no choice but to step in with his. After filming, Bay sold the car to Pat Sanston, who sold it to an unnamed owner in 2005, who then sold it to uh, Matthew Drendel in 2008. The car was brought back from the family by the previous owner in 2014. Uh, Michael Bay remembers showing the first scene that we just talked about to his mother. Uh, Mother Bay wasn't too pleased with the number of times the actors said the word fuck. So Bay cut to, it was 18 for the record. So he trimmed it down from 18 to 12, give or take, to appease his mom. (laughs) He he doesn't want to miss a beat. It's okay for you. It's great, Uh Sonny. Yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he doesn't want to miss a beat blaming Lawrence for all the fucks, though. Um, title card, opening credits, over again. Orange lit, Miami shots. Bay demanded that this fucking Miami flyover shot was in this movie. Personal safety was not interested in this. They didn't want nothing to do with this. They were like, this is a waste. This is stupid. They're scuffing at it. There's dangerous. Michael Bay, you know what he said? What's that? It's going to be bitching. <laughs> that does sound like a Bay thing to say. And it is a bitching flyover. Like, it's a, like if you just show me that flyover, I would say, oh, yeah, that's, that looks like a Bay film right there. <laughs> just, it's, I know it's, it's Bad Boys. I can tell you where it's from. I've seen it so many times. It's Bad Boys. Um, so, yeah, Miami Evidence Vault. We get this heist that's happening. Uh, it's a hundred million dollars worth of seized mafia heroin. So we're um, we're introduced to our film's lead villain, Antoine Fouché, who's played by Tchecky Cario. Call him Cario for the rest of it, or it's Antoine. It's a shame because he's like a well, like I mean, he's been in a lot of stuff. Like I remember from the Patriot. Uh, I mean, he's Patriot. Been around. He. He's he's in that fucking Jet Li film I keep talking about, Kiss of the Dragon. Oh God, he he's was in, in that core movie. Another fucking, it's not a Bay movie, but it it I get it's trying to ape a Bay movie kind of. The core, such a ridiculous movie, but still fun to watch because of how ridiculous it is. Isn't that where they like they had to like go down to like the Earth's core oh, yeah. to like drop a bomb or something? Aaron Eckhart, Hillary Swank, and Stanley Tucci. Have yeah, to I've never seen the- it. Isn't isn't DJ Qualls in that movie too? Yeah, yeah, he's like a hacker. Uh, it's such a ridiculous. Of course terrible... he is. Of course DJ Qualls is a fucking hacker. What else is he going to be in that movie? Yeah, it's such a ridiculous. I've never seen it. it. Yeah, it's a ridiculous, terrible movie, but it is so fun. Like it is just a fun movie to watch. Yeah, if if you're into like the disaster porn type movie. Like, my wife is uh, a particular fan of those type of movies, Disaster Port, so we've actually rewatched that a couple times and had had a good time with it. Yeah, it's something. And uh, I I feel like I've seen him in other stuff, too. Um, I feel like there's one movie I'm missing. Oh, yeah, Goldeneye, which came out the same year as Bad Boys. Yeah. So, yeah, in 95, he had himself a year. Um... (laughs) so yeah this is how it's set up uh it, it kind of reminds me of bad of a uh, robocop kind of reminds me of robocop they're all in the back of this big industrial truck and uh there's a decoy cop and uh 
and you know shoot the decoy this is like bro i've i wow this is robocop verbatim we just covered this last week I, i'm i'm just now connecting the dots between this scene as i'm thinking about it and and, and explaining it to robocop like we got like i said all the villain all the all the you know, the gangs together they're on the way to a heist or in robocop's case from a heist You've got the decoy. Wait, there was no decoy in RoboCop. That's not. Bobby's not a decoy. Never mind. <laughs> no, it's a little different, but I I see what you're saying. But I, Be, I okay. At least I'm not you know crazy. Yeah, I see it. But I will say, like, it is a smart plan because, like, if you're trying to get every cop within a several mile square radius together, that is the way a cop. You know, reporting a cop down. That is the yeah. best way to go like about he, it. So it actually like is a smart says, idea. I'm the decoy. He just shoots him. Bang. Um, and then, yeah, they, they, they go to the, the station, uh, knock out the guard, take out the cameras. Then they, they all, all, all these kilos of heroin. Now, I want to discuss these fucking, like, sl- rocket sleds they use. I've always been, like, fascinated with this part because I'm like, what the fuck are they riding these things out on? Because they go in through the air vent, but then, like, there's, like, these sled units, and, like, they're, like, clear, and, like, they just, like, fire through the fucking air duct, and I'm like, how are they doing this? Like, I I, I need questions answered. I, I don't understand this. Like, wait a minute. So, like, do they go to the heist, and do, do they go in and, like... Do they set up a track inside the air duct? Like it, it just seems like it would take more time, need than than necessary. You know? Yeah, it doesn't really like, make just any sense. Just grab the shit and get the fuck out. You ain't gotta be all like fancy schmancy and and you know use your fucking like sleds to get out of there and and, and stuff. I I don't know. Well, it looks cool. It's a cool shot, but with that much know, drugs, though, like I mean, leaves me more questions than answers. Yeah, but it's like a hundred something million dollars worth of drugs. So I mean, it would be hard, I think, to carry it all out just for the sheer amount. Because I mean, we're talking like I'm assuming like pallets worth of drugs for it to be that much street value. Yeah, what they're saying. But you know, you're right. And apparently, like, it gets it it gets shot and dropped like directly into the van because we see like in a throwaway shot here, you see Eddie who is an actual retired cop or whatever and or former cop and he's driving the van and or truck and we see him, you know, take two kilos and just, you know, don't mind if I do. Yeah. And it's just it like it doesn't make any sense too because like they're inside man, you know, you find out later, which we won't go into it now, who their um inside person is. But it's just yeah, it doesn't really make much sense, but it is fucking cool. Like I remember rewatching it or watching it for the first time as a kid, and I was like, "Holy shit! Like that is cool. I want to ride one of those things, like the rockets." Right. Like when you don't think about it, it is a cool way to like get the shit out of there. But yeah, obviously, it's completely fucking preposterous. Aside from the fact that I'm sh- pretty sure even if you had a cop called in, shot, it would be nearly impossible to rob a police station. But you know neither here nor there, you know, you need a movie, it's a ridiculous premise, you know, there's no point in dwelling on it, let's move on. Yeah, so, um, 
So yeah, they, 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 they take off with the, with the drugs, and we cut to Marcus and his family waking up. Uh, it's wake up call, his family, his son. Yeah, I like this bit here. Uh, Martin Lawrence, Marcus, his son's at the kitchen table, and he's like, Dad, everyone's making fun of me because I got big ears. And like, you know, he's like, you know, your father's got the same problem. That's because we hear and shit. We always be here and stuff. And like, Dad, at school, people say I look weird. They say my ears look funny. Boy, your daddy has that same problem. I got the ears, but you know what? That's just, they just out there for you to listen to people's problems. You're an angel. These are your wings. Flap, flap. That's all. James, stop. Would you take them off? Boy, your ears are better for you to listen to. Don't let me have to come out of school. I'll rest the bus. Uncle Mike's in the house. What's up, Uncle Mike? Partner, partner. Oh, don't kiss me, Mike. I don't know where your lips were last night. Move. Uncle Mike, did you have a date last night? Did I? Let me tell you, boy, now this girl was no. Hey, don't you go tell her my son on your sleazy sex stories. Oh, no, I, I only tell your husband my sexy hey. sex story. Well, I don't want him knowing about him either. Gives him ideas. Why are you putting me in this, man? I'm with my babies. Yeah. Okay? Thank yeah, you. I like this little bond here. The way he, like, you know, makes his son try to feel special. Like, you know, you heard, you know, you got big ears. I got big ears, too. We can have big ears and embrace them together. So that's a cool little moment. Um... And yeah, it's just mayhem. Fucking one of the kids are rollerblading around the goddamn house, and and it's just it's a free for all. Um, and then Mike comes over and tells the kids about his date the night before. I mean, he would have went into thorough detail like the fucking position they did it in and everything if it weren't for Marcus and his wife Teresa stopping him. <laughs> so, um, and then we cut to Mike and Marcus getting to the station, and we see Joey Pants, Joey Pantoliano, Captain Howard, showing them their now empty evidence room. <laughs> I know, I love me some Joey Pants. He's he's always been uh, one of my favorites in this franchise as far as supporting characters because he plays the uh, captain perfectly. Uh, I, I love him. In he's this. one of the best parts of these movies. I'd argue he's his role in the second film is like the the biggest and best. Like I think uh, Joey Pants and and uh, the second is just in Bad Boys too is is great. The whole Rusa running bit throughout the movie and shit. It's just funny stuff. I really really do dig it. Um, uh, spoiler alert, I guess, f- f- skip two minutes if you've never seen Bad Boys for Life. I'm assuming you've seen Bad Boys for Life, Corey? Yeah, I saw it. I, um, you know, he wasn't as memorable in that one. I mean, obviously what happens is memorable. That's what I want to talk about. That's why it's a spoiler alert. Like, so where are you at on them killing off Captain Howard in Bad Boys for Life? Uh, and pretty much doing it for shock value, and that's it. Yeah, I wasn't a fan, because now if yeah, they do... Pfft. I know they kind of figured, oh, we're probably not going to do another one or we'll do a spinoff. But now, honestly, if they do another sequel, I'm going to be slightly less excited just because Joey Pants ain't coming back unless it's for a stupid fucking reason. But, you know, other than like having him in just be in the movie, it's all over. So, yeah, I wasn't a big fan. Yeah, it's not good. Um, 
Yes, okay. So then, um, Marcus, yeah, Captain uh, Howard, Joey Pants, Marcus, Mike, and uh, Marge Helgenberger, who's playing, uh, for, who's internal affairs, Captain Sinclair is her name. We only see her a few times in this movie. Uh, for some reason, I always thought that she was in this film more than she actually is. She's only <laughs> in it for like two or three scenes. Um, She's in a scene. I, like, I got to go back to Vegas. Got to go back to CSI. Bye. Yeah, exactly. Um, although I think at the same time as this, she was filming the first Species movie. You know, I really don't have too much to say on her because I don't. I I I'm not familiar with too much of her stuff because I. You know, I never watched CSI, um, and, you know, the Species films were just, yeah. And other than that, you know, BC, she's, you know, Bad Boys, she's in Species, she's even popped up in Species 2. Uh, but looking at her filmography, it's like, it doesn't have a big one. It's it's more of us, it's television for her. Um, with shows we mentioned, you know, like, like uh, CSI. Uh, more CSI. I see she was on an episode, or actually eleven episodes, of Under the Dome when that was on the air. Um, she was in those. Okay, this is why I'm confused because I'm like, there's something else I remember her from that I'm not looking at right now, and that's the Stephen King television films. Like she was in the Langoliers, I believe. Hmm. Um. And there's another one, I'm sure. The Tommyknockers. That's what I'm thinking of. The Tommyknockers. She wasn't in the Langoliers. She was in the Tommyknockers. Under the Dome, of course, like I just said. Um, China Beach. That was another big show she was on. Remember China Beach from the late 80s, early 90s? Nah, I have no fucking clue what that is. You have no clue what China... Okay. Nah. Yeah, I remember it was uh Dana Delaney was on that show. Like she was like the the lead actress, and uh, I I don't know. I'm not gonna get. I'm not gonna turn this into a conversation on that fucking shit. But um, yeah. So uh, Mark and Mike, Mark and Micus, Mike and Marcus, they head out to go investigate what the hell is going on. For boom, hit my, hit my, my microphone arm. First stop they go is uh, JoJo, played by a very young Michael Imperioli, uh, right before the uh, Sopranos. Yeah, right before Sopranos. But uh, before we move on, I just wanted to note something. When they first sure. get to the station and they're learning about the drugs being stolen, Joey, Joey Pans never says this, but it, it almost comes off in the way, it's almost like Mike and Marcus's fault that the shit got stolen. That's what it seemed like to me. Like It's always the- their fault. <laughs> Like, it's like, the shit got stolen, we got five days or whatever until they come reassign us all. Go fix it. <laughs> like, I'm just like, why is it their fault? Like, they made the big bust. Like, how is that their problem that the shit got stolen? Now, I understand, like, if this happened in real life, obviously everybody in the department would be looked at. People probably would get reassigned. Like, it would fuck shit up. I totally get that. I'm not saying... Everybody would just be blameless, but I don't think you'd walk in and be like, get out there and fucking find it. Like, you know, you guys got it. Somebody stole it. You fucked up. Get out there. Like, did it seem like that way to you or is it just me when I was watching it? No, not really. Um, I don't know. It just seemed like they were getting blamed for it. Like, I don't know. Like when they had, like, it's not their fault. It got stolen. You're just yelling at them. No, and like, get the fuck back no, out there. 
it's like I said before. It's it's just you know them getting blamed for everything. That's kind of like the way it is in these movies. Is like just their presence is is reason enough for them to get you know blamed for whatever. It's like they they're just around for everything, and they're just I don't know. Nothing that I would actually you know read too much into though. So Mark and Mark. Marcus and Mike, they go to a <laughs> local gym. I'm going to keep doing that. It's going to piss me off. So they go to this local gym, and there's this call girl, Max, working. Now we see that she's, you know, got a personal connection with Mike, Will Smith. Uh, they're, you know, I guess that they were old acquaintances and shit. And she worked for him. Let's call a spade a spade. So they talk in private while Marcus has himself a little montage of trying out <laughs> different stuff around the place. It's I a gym. I love uh, you got Martin him. Lawrence. I love I love him in this scene. He's just like such a fish out of water. He's like the f- regular blue collar family man in this like hip '90s gym <laughs> with all these uh, younger people. I just love uh, Martin Lawrence in this scene with uh, the fucking dumbbell. Just good shit. Yes. Oh god, that's funny as shit. The dumbbell gets stuck. Um. So yeah, Mike wants Mark. 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 Mike. <laughs> all, look, there are too many people in this movie whose names start with M. Okay, I'm just gonna say it right here. Never thought about it until just now. So Mike wants Max to contact him if she hears anything about. You know, a little party going on in the area, uh, popular call girl stuff, you know, any activity, uh, someone who's, you know, got a lot of cash. So, you know, of course she's on it. And uh, I have a note here. The early scene at the gym was only supposed to focus on Will Smith's character and Karen Alexander's character, Max. However, Michael Bay had Martin Lawrence mess around with the gym equipment. All the cutaways to his character trying the shadow box and lift weights were improvised on the spot and added after the fact. You can totally tell all these cuts uh, back to Martin being Martin were added after the fact. Which, you kind of can. It's still a funny moment here. So, back at the station, Mike and Marcus, the receptionist Francine, played by popular character actress from that time, Anna Thompson, Gives them the AC contractor's address, saying that he's working from home, so they go to see him. Because uh, that's how else these people that broke in through the AC unit are going to get that information. So they go to see this guy. Well, too bad. They're late. He's dead. Um, and this is that bit where they go in. It's like, you know, we wonder if we can borrow some brown sugar. You know, they're making hey, a yeah. fucking... Yeah, talk like a white person. Yeah. Yeah. So they go in this house right away. They smell something fishy, quite literally. Something funky going on. So they go in the back room. Dead guy. Got a gnarly slash throat. Got a knife in his hand. So this is Mike comes up with the uh, situation on the spot pretty quickly. Sells the ventilation plans to the de- to the bad guys. He gets rich, but he gets dead. So, it's funny too, because after I, I, for the longest time watching this movie, I never really, under, I never quite understood 
who this dead body was. I'm like, who the fuck is this dead body? I've always remembered this scene where they go into the house and it's like a foul, funky smell for obvious reasons. But like, I never quite put my finger on who the fucking guy was and why, you know, and, and why. And now it makes sense, you know, actually stopping and doing a little researching for this episode. You might learn a thing or two. So that's who he was. Um, and then on the road, Marcus gives Mike shit for having all of his money passed down to him while Marcus works for his money. Some bantering that turns into the two singing bad boys. Um, and Mike, so real quick, um, this movie, like, it's just like you said, like an old, if it plays off like an old school buddy cop 80s film. And it does like a, something to be said about that it's like a formula and this movie has it beat by beat and yeah. you know because you, you kind of got your typical you know your crime scene then you've got the two you know back to bannering between the two then you've got another important key scene then you got back to the bannering between you two between the two you know it, it's almost like michael bay just wants to keep on reminding the audience that you know yeah, you're you're here to experience this, you know, buddy cop movie and shit, but ultimately you're also experiencing just these two friends, you know, just, and it's a funny movie and you're supposed to, you know, have fun and get away and have a good time and, yeah. and that's what a lot of those old 80s films entail and that's definitely, you know, what's, that's the vibe I'm getting with this movie. Yeah, I mean it definitely is. Like up until now, it it's like beat by beat. It's like you have the odd couple um partners, you know, which obviously they argue but love each other. Uh right. you know, you have the MacGuffin, the drugs being stolen, and then now they're it just going through the mystery, like just going person to person or uh, you know, crime scene to crime scene and trying to figure it out because they don't figure out, you know, who stole the shit until the end. Like it is kind of a mystery. I kind of forgot about that aspect. And yeah, it's just crazy. Like just watching it now, like, cause I mean, maybe when I was younger and I saw this, I mean, I had seen eighties buddy cop movies, but not nearly to the extent that I have now. So it just, it put, it popped out so much more (laughs) rewatching this. I was like, wow. It's Bago's like eighties buddy cop movie. Yep. So Max is told about a guy uh, who's looking to party, and he keeps calling every couple of hours. Who's desperate, apparently. So Max says that she has plans with her friend Julie, but decides to stop by with her to scope it out on the way. And that's when she tells Julie about her friend Mike and how, if she was ever in trouble, he's the one person she can depend on. Remember that. So the two get the Al Capone, the old Al Capone suite. That's what uh, we're told this a couple times for some reason in this movie that this is the old Al Capone suite, full of secret passageways and stuff. Even though we never see a single one of them in use, um, again, and this is Eddie Dominguez, uh, the guy from earlier who's a former cop who stole the two kilos while the heist was happening. And he's there with these two bricks, and he's got them open, and he is partying. Um, right off the cuff, he wants Julie and uh, Max to help, you know, partake in the party. But 
no go. Uh, Max politely, dec- uh, you know, declines, and Julie just kind of like dips out of there and goes to find a bathroom upstairs. So she's out of the scene. Uh, and then this is when all of a sudden Antoine shows up with the uh, the rest of the guys, and uh, Eddie tells him that he needed to blow off a little steam after the job with some friends. That he was going to invite him, but he didn't think he, he was going to come. And he's like, nah. He's just going to supply the party with the two missing kilos, that's all. So Antoine has Max model for him. I see you treat yourself well, Eddie. Yeah. I needed to blow off a little steam after the... Uh the move, you know, so I uh, a little party with a couple friends, you know it is, that's all. I was gonna invite you guys. Invite? <laughs> Looks like I'm catering this. I was looking for my two keys of dope and now I know where they are. Yours, man, it's our score. <laughs> and the girl? Nobody. Just entertainment. Hi. I'm Max. Nice to meet you, Max. I like a woman who takes pride in her appearance. Don't you? Yeah, I hate when a bitch lets herself slide. You look like a model in that dress. Will you model for me, Max? Oh, great. Gun squad. Goes to do so, and I'm watching this scene, and you can see knows exactly what's happening. She knows that this is basically her final moment because before she does a little strut you can just see the tears in her eyes and I think that's just the captivating thing to to, 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 to point out and, and you know just any any ch- chance that you can make a scene more realistic by adding little quips like that or not quips but little little things like that it's just okay in my book <laughs> Yeah, she's a smart girl. I mean, she knew what was what was happening at that point. Yeah, she knew her time was up. Her time was now. And so, yeah, that's what happens. He takes a pillow, and he fires through the pillow at her a few times. Guns are down. Um, and meanwhile, Julie's up above, and she sees us go down, and she makes a noise and gets spotted. So she's chased by Mark... Uh, Mark Mullen. Uh, yeah, Macaulay. Macaulay. Jesus Christ! I have, I haven't wanted to say Macaulkin. Mark <laughs> Macaulay, who we were just talking about a year ago on our Killer Joe episode, he's back as a henchman in this movie, and he goes and chases her up on the roof, and she jumps to survive. Um. So, uh, you want to talk about this jump and how the fuck she survived it? Uh, she survived it because she needs to survive to go find Mike Lowry. 
That's why. Here's my beef with this scene. As many times as I have watched this movie, every time this scene plays out, and she jumps, it's one thing she jumps, okay. I personally wouldn't have done it, but hey man, whatever. So we get this, and then when she's going down the water, when she's going down, you know, when she makes the jump, there's a POV shot that follows the entire fall, and it goes down into the shallow end of the pool, and it has always bugged the fuck out of me, because she jumps down, and it makes you think to the viewer, it leads you to believe that she jumped and barely made it into that pool at the bottom, and landed in the shallow end. She jumped, that's about 100 feet easy, she jumped from, easy, probably more than that, let's just say a buck 20, buck 30 maybe, she was up a pretty, you know, big flight of floors, (laughs) it was a rooftop for fuck's sake, and she just jumped into the shallow end, and just comes up like, YOLO, and I'm just like, oh, alright, so, it always bugged me, she should be dead, um, but yeah, uh, I really, real quick, also wanted to bring up the misogyny in this movie because uh, we see it front and center when these guys come into the house or the 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 suite. Like the one guy is like, "Yeah, I like it when a woman takes pride in her appearance, don't you?" And he's like, "Yeah, I hate it when a bitch lets herself slide." And I'm like, "What the fuck?" <laughs> oh yeah, it's very evident. There's a few things in this movie that definitely dated Don't back to the up. 90s yeah uh, and that's one of them and that's a common thing with some of the especially earlier bay films is to have uh that type of stuff in it uh so you know i know i know a lot of his critics will tend to bring up those type of things and yeah it doesn't age well at all no yeah, but you know it it i don't want to brush it off saying it is what it is but uh, it's there. It happened. I mean, it's it, it was can't much change more, the past. It was much more common back then. Unfortunately, I you know obviously yeah. I remember those days. That was it wouldn't stand out. Sit, dude, we could sit here and have a whole entire episode on that, but we're not gonna. We're gonna move on. Uh, next up, we got the crime scene. Uh, Mike sees Max, her body. Marcus tells them that they're gonna get the people who did this, and then uh, Mike goes. Uh, after the fact, Mike leaves by himself, and he goes to check on uh, Max's employer. And this is when it's this woman we saw her briefly before when she got the phone call about um, the, the the party. Uh, she's the one who sets uh, uh, Max and her and Julie up on this escort date thing that leads to all this shit. So yeah, we we cut back to her place at night. And uh, she's, you know, getting ready to you know, turn down for the night. And we see uh, our buddy, Mark McCauley, show up with this little nylon mask that he puts on. Because that was a big thing, like the stocking mask back in the day. Uh, and, you know, he's got this big-ass sledgehammer he walks in. And we just see him enter the place and walk down the hallway in slow-mo, and it fades to black. We don't see the actual murder take place because the next time we cut to them, he's literally wiping, washing the blood off his hands in the sledgehammer and he hears Mike come in and he puts the mask back on and he attacks Mike 
and knocks him out the house. Like he he like knocks Mike out the window, and that's it. And he just leaves. Doesn't finish him or nothing. He just knocks Mike out the window, and that's that's it. And uh, yeah, when I was rewatching this, I was like, oh, that's the end of the fucking scene. Like <laughs> I thought I was missing yeah. something there. It's at a first. weird. Yeah, it's it's a weird cut. Um. And then we got Marcus at the station with Captain Howard, and he's on the phone with his wife. And another department, he's got two phones literally at the same time. One's got his wife, one's the other department trying to get a certain file. Then all of a sudden, Julie calls, and she wants to talk to Mike Lowry, but Howard puts Marcus on the phone instead. And then, uh, like, I love the fucking look that Marcus gives when we see the, uh, Howard. He's like, because she's only wants to talk to Mike. Because, you know, dates back to the comment that Max made about she only deals with Mike. So she's taking a cue and she only wants to talk to Mike. And Howard's like, oh, I think I see him right here. He's walking down the hall. He's, walk- he's out of the bathroom. He's coming down now. Here he is. And, like, you see Marcus, <laughs> like, peek over, like, really? Here he's, he- seriously? He's coming? I, I, love, <laughs> I love the look. And I think what Joey Pants is like, ah, he's coming out of the John. Like, it was just like, I love the fucking BS. Like, yeah, like, he's, he's walking fucking- up now. <laughs> that might be him. Yeah. Larry's desk. I need to talk to Detective Mike Lowry. This is Captain Howard. Can I help you? You can get me, Detective Lowry. Look, this is not a, another paternity case, is it? No, it's another murder case, you twerp. You're not talking about the murder case at the Biltmore Hotel tonight, are you? Listen, I've just seen my best friend get murdered. And I'll only talk to Mike Lowry. Why only Mike Lowry? I have a detective here. None of your fucking business, all right? Either I talk to Lowry or I'm going to blow town. Mike! Mike, phone! Telephone, Mike! He's coming. He's coming right now. Hold on, please. Hold on. Talk to her. Cam, I ain't got time for these games. Talk to her. This is the the witness, the girl at the hotel. Yeah, Harry, he just got out of the john. Hold on. Talk to her now. If you don't talk to her now, she's going to walk. Captain, I can't be no Mike, man. Just talk to her now. She's going to walk out. This is our witness. Hello? This is Mike Larry. He doesn't talk that way. Talk like him. Like him. Try to talk sexy. Come on. You don't sound sexy enough. You don't know me. My name's Julie Mott. And I was Max Logan's best friend. Okay, whoa, whoa, calm down, calm down. Now talk to me now. Yeah. And she said if she ever needed anything. I need your help. Give me the address. All right, okay. It's going to be all right. Hey, Mike's to the rescue. I'm on the way. All right. Let's see if I can find Lowry. Hey, I can't go. But you got to go. Go. Get Mike down here, man. Handle this. Get, get to this address now. Get out of the chair. I'll wait till Mike. You won't see your wife for a month. Get out of the uh, chair. And then Marcus, you know, fucking, he tries to go and retrieve Julie. He goes to the house where she is. She packs up her dogs and everything. And they get out right when Antoine's men arrive. Who are there to kill her? And we get the escape scene. Uh, 
you know, the two get out together, drive, they get away in the in Marcus's little family wagon. She's panicking because there's a fucking ba- baby seat in the back and everything and <laughs> the thing. You know, it's an old family, you know, trucksters type vehicle and she's freaking out, freaking out about that and he's blowing it. He's trying to tell her that it's just, you know, undercover from the station. That's not really his, yada, yada. Um... And I figured now, man, we can have our Taylor conversation because why the hell not? And prior to this recording, I was actually curious. I'm like, I haven't really seen too much of her lately except for that, you know, Madam Secretary show that she's been doing for the last umpteen years. And that's it, dude. She hasn't done a movie since 2011's Tower Heist with Ben Stiller and Eddie Murphy. That was her last movie. Uh, even before that, she really didn't have much. She Look. I've got her filmography look right in front of me. And there's like a dozen movies and that's it that she's done theatrically that we can even, you know, talk about. You know, a League of the Rune, Wider, Bad Boys, Flirting with Disaster, Deep Impact, The Family Man, Jurassic Park Three, uh, Spanglish, Fun with Dick and Jane, You Kill Me, Ghost Town, and Tower Heist. Those are pretty much the only really movies worth mentioning that she's done um and then you know television madam secretary that was it she didn't really do a whole lot man she's kind of of course you know being married to david duchovny also helps for the longest time they're no longer married uh they divorced about eight years ago but they were married for a while and you know she didn't really do I mean, she did, she had work, but, you know, she she didn't really, she wasn't known to do, like, multiple films a year. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I mean, I'll be completely honest, I think there's a reason for that. I'm not a big fan of hers. I, okay. I don't recall anything that she's been in that I've said, eh, she's good. Uh, you know, there's stuff I've seen where I'm like, eh, you know, whatever, and then there's other um, stuff I've seen with her, like Jurassic Park 3. I wanted her to get eaten by a fucking dinosaur the whole time because she's, like, <laughs> screaming and fucking annoying and hyperventilating. And, you know, that could be down to the writing, too. But, uh, you know, there's there's several movies. I think that movie Spanglish she was in, I think I remember yeah. her annoying me in that movie, kind of. Like, I, I remember liking Sandler in that movie, but not her, for whatever reason. But it's been a while since I have saw that. But... Uh, there's, I'm really not a big fan. There, like, uh, I really can't pick anything out that I've said. Oh yeah, she was good in uh, that movie. I mean, she might be a very nice lady personally, but I, I, per- I don't particularly think she she's a great actress. She might be a very nice lady personally. I don't know. I don't think uh. she's a very good actress. I don't think she brings a whole lot. And to be completely honest, uh, I'm not a big fan of her in this movie either. I think she's fine. I, I'm not, you know. I'm not going to sit here and, and be like, you know, come off as like a, a the, the biggest like Tia Leone, like apologist because I'm <laughs> not. Um, Get new film effects shirts with fucking Tia Leone on it. You know, it's funny too because I don't want to like, I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself like, do I really want to defend her knowing that I have her on my con list for this movie? But no. <laughs> Here's my um, thing. So... Tell me if I'm way off base here, but this part to me 
because I think she's about 30 or so when this movie was uh, came out. She's like filmed. she's in her late 20s. I, I thought about that, too. She's like 27, 28. But here's my thing. She tracks older to me. And maybe that's my bias from seeing her in different movies where she plays the mom a lot or something like that. But I don't know. It seems like to me, instead of like a young um, call girl type character, it's like a mom or a middle-aged woman playing a call girl type character. Like, right, right. Like she's undercover. Like she has a young kid or a kid or something. And now she's having a midlife crisis. And now she was undercover with max and in bad shit. I, it just seems off to me a little bit, her casting in this movie. And that just could be my bias. I'm not sure. Could be the voice. I don't know, but it just doesn't seem, it just doesn't mesh to me very well for some reason. I don't know if you have any feelings on that. I just remember when this film came out, you know, she was obviously new to the industry. And I just remember that she just had this look that a lot of other people or actresses in like the mid 90s had. And um, I, again, I thought she was just okay. And, you know, not nothing to write home about. Um, she really didn't have the best follow up. Um, I not I don't want to say follow up because you follow this up with floating disaster. Like I said, I've never seen that movie, so I can't really speak too much on it. But when I say follow up, like to me, uh, her follow up was actually Deep Impact because that was the next film that I saw her in, and I'm not a fan of that movie at all. And I remember not liking her character one bit. And I actually do remember her character being one of the things I did not like about the movie. So, you know, 24 years, haven't revisited it, so I really can't speak too much on that. I just remember there was a whole, like, subplot with her and her uh, father. Like, uh, I think Brian Cox was her father in that movie, if I'm not mistaken. Um, but anyway, but... but in this movie, when this first came out, like I said, she had this look to her. Um, and, you know, I don't want to sound like a misogynist myself. Uh, so don't take this that way, audience. But I, I want to say she was kind of hired for this movie based on that look that she had and not her acting. Um, and I just say that because... I don't know, is the truth? I mean, that's just how things were in the 90s. It was a different time, a different era. And I definitely think that she got hired on this movie because she has, like, a distinct look that this film was going for. Does that make sense? Like, she's got dark hair and stuff, you know, kind of attributes that she typically doesn't have you know after this movie she ditches that look and she goes to her natural blonde for the rest of her career to my knowledge for the rest of her career she kept that blonde look and that was her natural hair for this she had it all darkened and she wears like the heavy eyeliner and stuff like that because that was the look and michael bay being a commercial music video director he was he had an eye for that kind of stuff. And I think that's why he, you know, gave the role to Taya Leone because she had this look and, you know, looks first acting second, you know, or whatever you want to say or, or call it. Yeah. I wouldn't put it past him. 
it wouldn't surprise me if that's the choice Bay made just because, you know, I could see he has a vision in his head and acting be damned, you know? Yeah, exactly. So, uh, another note that I have here for this is Vic Manny, who plays one of uh, the bodyguards. He's the older, heavyset guy with the gray hair that you see throughout this movie. He's actually a henchman in a lot of these Jeremy Bruckheimer or Jerry Bruckheimer, Don Simpson movies. Um, he was also a henchman in Beverly Hills Cop 2 from 87. And the reason for that is this dude was actually Don Simpson's bodyguard who had been, who, who hired him after he was threatened by the mafia. I wonder why. And that's, that's how he got into acting. Like this dude was basically just a, a heavy for Don Simpson, one of the producers. And he, I guess from being around all the time was like, Hey, you want to roll? You, you've got the look of what we're looking for in this movie. Why don't you just pretend to do it while actually doing it in real life? So, cause he's the guy for people that remember Beverly Hills cop too. He's one of the henchmen. Like I said, I remember a scene where like, uh, Axel puts a gun to his head and he's like, "You like rap? Like, yeah." It's like, "Sing me, sing me a rap or a rap, rap me a song or something like that." And he keeps, he makes him say, "Yo, baby, yo, baby, yo." And that's the guy I'm talking about is Vic Manny. You see him in this movie as one of the. Do you know who I'm talking about in this movie? I he's have the no older. Idea. He's the older gunman, henchman in this movie. Okay, never mind. If I give you a picture of him, you'll know what he looks like. He kind of looks like an older, heavier Richard Donner, if that makes sense. Hmm. But anyway, um, so then Marcus wants to take uh, the witness, uh, I forgot her name already, Julie, into protective custody, but suddenly she starts developing amnesia, and uh, she says that she already wants to do this at Mike's, you know, to, I'll, I'll do in-home protective custody, she calls it. So they go back to Mike's place because, again, Marcus is, she thinks that Marcus is Mike. And they got to get through Mike's bellboy, Chet. So they go to the room. Mike, no, Mike goes in, Marcus goes in first. But, and, you know, Chet's like, you know, Mr. Lowry's not here. And he's like, yeah, he sent me here to get his key, yada, yada. And Chet automatically knows what the hell is going on, or he thinks he does, at least. He's putting two and two together. He sees that he's got this, you know, young, white, attractive woman with him, and they, he he gives him this, like, little backhand comment about, like, you know, being a, a, a good, dedicated family man to everything and shit like that, and he's kind of, like, insinuating, you know, you don't want to go through with this, and he squeezes his hand and gets him to fucking give up the key or whatever or something. Yeah, like uh, Marcus has uh enough and like squeezes his hand. He has enough of the yeah. coin as he's like, "As your wife," and then yeah, Marcus is like, "All right." He's let's like, stop "No one's here. the." He's like, "No one's to come upstairs, not even Mike himself." Um. So, fun fact: since we're talking about Marcus Martin Lawrence, recently he told. Not, I don't know if it was recently, but I see I have here in my note uh, GQ interview magazine tabloid. He uh, revealed that Lawrence Fishburne was actually first offered the role of Mike Lowry, but he turned it down. Little yeah. Matrix connection there, Morpheus. Yeah, I can Mike see that. Mike Lowry played by, well, 
could have been Neo. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I could. Uh, I could see Lawrence Fishburne in the role. I, 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 I think it might be a different movie at that point, but I could see it. Right. Yeah. So then Marcus attempts to tell his wife about his assignment that's going to send him to, to Cleveland, but she's not having it. She wants Mike to go instead, but he, the, the two of them kind of come together on the spot and, and just make sure that she's okay with uh, Marcus going and Mike staying around and, and watching over the kids in, in, in the house while he's gone. So, uh, Meanwhile, Mike's concussed. Because last time we saw him, he was getting hit by guys of sledgehammers. Uh, while Marcus is going on and on and on about everything from sleeping on the couch with a power interest stuck up his ass to securing a witness for them. And that's when they go to the uh, police station gym or the basketball court in the gym where uh, Captain Howard shoots some hoops, <laughs> smoking a fucking cigar in the process and chewing them all out. Missing every single shot, too. And the fucking... I love this gag. He's like, I was making a moment until you all got here. I was going to say that. I don't ima- I don't imagine Joey Pants being a high uh, percentage free throw shooter. I just don't imagine yeah. it. He's chewing him out and eventually says, you, you be you, but not around him or her. You be you, you be him, yada, yada. And yeah, he's just fucking making all these baskets or he's missing all these baskets. He's like, you know, I was like making them all in before you got here. And then Mike picks up a basketball on the way out, and he hits this, like, fucking three-pointer, and he's like, everyone wants to be like Mike. He's like, yeah, he's going to be retired like him, too. So, let's see. Where am I at here in my notes? Oh, yeah, Mike eventually agrees to stay at Marcus's house and watch the wife and kids. And then we cut to Kevin Corrigan. Kevin Corrigan. <laughs> I completely yeah. forgot he was in this movie. He's only young. in the one scene, right? Like he wasn't he's not in another scene no, after in, this, right? No, no, he's in a couple scenes cuz he plays a he's, he kind of has a larger role later on in the movie as the chemist here. But yeah, he's like in He's trying to tell um, Antoine about like the 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 the, the do the con- everything where they are the 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 type of place where they have them cooking this heroin is like not really the most ideal place for it, and so like all this like moisture is getting in the way and shit, and it's it's delaying you know his uh time and. I, the one thing I took from this scene is when Antoine gets in his face and he's like mocking him and he goes, I'm not a fucking chemistry teacher, idiot. So explain it to me, Elliot. We've got a problem with our chemistry set? Well, it's not a chemistry set. No, it ain't a chemistry set, asshole. So, what is it? The cutting agent is highly volatile substance the aether the i don't care i don't care i'm not a fucking chemistry teacher Elliot. so what is the problem the problem is that there's just there's too much moisture down here yeah it's totally fucked you shut up okay so what else it's taking longer to cook than than we originally planned and if we rush it we're gonna have a lot of drugs that we can't sell you're fucking with my timetable here 
I gave you a deadline. Do you understand? So then we got Julie questioning Marcus about all the pictures of Mike around the place, and he plays it off like that's what cops do if they're partners. Like, okay. At what point is Julie going to stop buying this bullshit? But uh, she goes with it, buying it all up, and we get Marcus showing Julie a lineup of potential suspects at back at the station, and he's eating this, like, ham sandwich looks delicious by the way and she's fucking grossing him out by saying you know revealing all the places where everything came from i my i i love the bit here he takes the pickle and he fucking washes it in the coke and he's like can i have the pickle here i washed it all salt off here yeah i love uh martin lawrence in this scene and but and this is down to the writing too but i'm just like oh taya leone i was like if she's supposed to be coming off as anything but annoying in this scene she's failing like it's just i don't know it's just i roll my eyes and i'm like you know try to endear me to the character like so i care if she dies at this point as long as martin lawrence got out i'd be fine if the guys came in and gunned her down i honestly wouldn't care because she's annoying yeah uh so then at the at the station there's this Eddie Dominguez file that their secretary Francine just can't seem to get into. Well, not later. Then Mike and Marcus get back to Mike's place where Mike's introduced to uh, Julie while seeing the mess that she's left around this place, including <laughs> the dog shit. He's like, he's like, yeah, that's cool about you, Mike. You're just cool if you know dogs going mess, messing around, you know, shitting and pissing everywhere. Me. I'd be pissed. <laughs> um, so the Mike goes into the bedroom to see the other mess that a sick dookie's left. Marcus throws Mike's masseuse out naked <laughs> during this scene. She comes in in lingerie and he's like fucking like, you can't be here. And he fucking pushes her out and shit. And she's like, who are you? Get your hands off me. And she throws him out and fucking he comes around. He's like, you threw She's like, you threw her out? You threw her out naked? And he goes, she massages shit. (laughs) I know, I love that line, but this is like where the movie feels like just a complete 80s throwback. Like, you have this buddy cop movie, like they're trying to get the witness to a certain court date, and then you have this zany concept of now they have to switch lives. Like, it's just, it feels like such an 80s thing to me. Like, just this ridiculous premise that they would never do like they would never keep if they lied at the beginning i would understand mike Lowry wasn't there so marcus lies to get the witness but in a normal other movie that's not like an 80s throwback they would just then tell her after that point <laughs> but no we're gonna stick to this lie no matter how ridiculous it is and then you get the zany <sighs> results yeah this lie fuck it let's bring it up now when at what point does this goddamn lie just not become worth it anymore? Just at, at, at what point do you just drop it, throw your hands in the air, and just say, I can't, I fucking can't? Yeah, I mean, for me, if I was uh, Marcus or Martin Lawrence's character, as soon as my wife like starts getting mad at me, I'd be like, ah, fuck this. Like, we'll just tell her. I'm it not dealing with it. this shit anymore. I mean, what, like, are they so, what are they so scared of? Like, 
oh, she's going to develop amnesia all of a sudden? Like, no. Something tells me when you get to the, you know, brass tacks that she's not going to do all that shit. She's just fucking freaking out because she doesn't have a lot of faith in people because, and you blame her because one of the people that were in that party was a, was a fellow cop. So, you know, of course she's going to think differently. But at some point, something's got to give. And at some point, you know, you just got to fucking throw your hands up, like I said, and just tell the truth. Like, this is what's going on. I ain't Mike. I'm Marcus. This is what's happening. You know, if he's got to use the, if he's got to pull a car where you're in my possession now, then so be it. Yeah. And obviously, you know, she figures it out, like the Tia Leone's character, like she figures it out uh, before they tell her. I mean, to me, like the whole lie would fall apart with obviously the pictures but then as soon as she meets, uh, you know, quote unquote, Marcus, a.k.a. Will Smith, like to me, that would tell you right there. OK, one's supposed to be a family man. One's supposed to be the suave, like bachelor guy. Like, come on, like, just look at fucking Martin Lawrence and Will Smith and tell me which one's which. Like, I think right there, like she even though she doesn't let on, I think she knows who's who at that point or pretty close to it. Yeah. So Mike and Marcus go after Noah, they go to Club Hell before they go inside. Marcus wants to do this without killing anybody. Meanwhile, Julie finds Noah's uh, file and heads to Club Hell by herself, packing a tiny pistol on her. Um, and then while they're there, we see Antoine's men who spot uh, Marcus and Mike at the club doing a little digging. And Marcus... Decides he's going to go to the bathroom and Mike's going to stand out by the bar and just just get distracted by all the, you know, flinging, you know, naked women parading around that are present. Yeah. It's a strip club. It's a very 90s around. club. Very oh, 90s. Oh, God, yeah. I mean, they're they're playing Sister Salvation. They're, they're, they're playing fucking Juke Joint Jezebel. Yeah, and then we got the whole shot here. Fucking Mike nodding his head to the stripper's foot. While, meanwhile, in the background, Marcus is getting his ass kicked in the fucking restroom. We see it going on through this fish tank. Mike's distracted. Mike's getting his ass handed to him. Bathroom fight ensues. Um, it's not until. Marcus gets put through this fucking fish tank itself and the glass breaks that Mike's like, oh shit, my partner's getting fucked up. Might as well go save him. And, um, yeah, I got here. Michael Bay mentions the studio began backing the project more after seeing the early dailies and realizing the tone that Bay was going for. He does note that they didn't give him any more money, though. After the initial screening, which Bay remembers very well, Bay remembers went very well, the studio then gave him an additional $2 million to shoot, to shoot additional scenes. He also mentions that it was Columbia's biggest movie of 1995, which kind of surprised me. I thought that would have been Jumanji. But no, it was this. So Julia arrives at the club, and she's about to shoot Antoine through the window up above, but she is stopped by Marcus. And in the ensuing car chase that entail that 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 follows with the trio and a getaway ether truck, 
what happens in the end is they get the they catch up to Noah, car accident. Noah goes to escape before it explodes because of all the dripping ether that's that's also uh, on fire. Doesn't make it out, gets blown up, and yeah, that's it. Michael Bay noted the difficulty that he had working with the local Miami crew and how none of them were fully confident in his unorthodox way of shooting and cutting scenes. He went on to say on the commentary track for the film, there are no rules to film. There's That's the first rule. You can break rules. You can make your own rules. Um, and then we get the liquor store scene, which, if you ask me, this has been the scene that I remember most throughout my life, is this scene here, this moment. Because they're in there after the fact. They're uh, there because Julia's getting shampoo, and while they're there, Mike mentions JoJo's name after seeing all the ether that was in the truck that from before. He says that he's got to know something about all this ether. Um, and then uh, we get the whole moment where the clerk sees the guns underneath their vest and pulls guns on them. And they're like, look, we're cops. We got badges. Give us a second. He's like, you want badges? I got badges right here. 99 cents. And... That's when he gets lets his guard down and Marcus and Mike both pull not one but both of their fucking pistols on this guy. He's like, Oh fuck, I'm <laughs> yeah. fucked. And he's like, What now, bitch? He's like, put the gun down, give me a pack of tropical fruit bubble dishes. And without even hesitating, we see Marcus go, Yeah, and Skittles. Yeah. And to this day, to this very day, I still drop that random tidbit. There are still two things that I took from watching comedy and stand-up growing up. One, I still use this in some Skittles at the end of a random whatever. And I also, this is off topic a little bit, but I also still reference Dave Chappelle's, yeah, fuck carrots. I still say fuck carrots because of Dave Chappelle for some reason. So, anyway. <laughs> this whole scene is memorable, but it's just kind of odd to me because, like, the is, the store owner, like, it just kind of comes out of nowhere. Like, they don't have, like, yeah, he sees the gun. I get that. It's two black guys. He's racist. I, I get all that. But it's just, I don't know, like, to me, to make it make a little bit more sense, they needed to have something else to elude that they might rob him. Like, maybe there's a sketch or something and Martin Lawrence, I don't know, like, Martin Lawrence looks like it or something. I don't know, it just kind of comes out of nowhere to me. Like, why this shop owner would automatically think they're robbers when it's like, you know, Will Smith, like, he has a gun, but he's, like, well-dressed, like, eloquent. I don't know, it just didn't read like a robbery, like a chick picking out shampoo. Come on. Oh, yeah, so one of the reasons... Why there's so much improv, um, improving in this movie is because the studio only wanted to give Michael Bay ten grand for a script rewrite. That amount doesn't buy you a lot, so Bay relied on his leads to come up with the dialogue on their own. Hence, you know, the casting of Martin Lawrence and, Mike and Will Smith. At, you know, two people who came from big time comedy shows in the mid nineties. I mean, they're red hot. What better, you know, project to tackle than this with those two? So Julie's starting to come on to Marcus back at the the house or condo, but he's uh, awkwardly backing out. 
and she gives him a reason to check in on his wife. And when he calls, he mishears uh, his wife and Mike joking about putting it back in there. It's, it's you going through old photos from like high school pictures and shit like that, and he steals a unflattering picture of Marcus and. Uh, She's fighting with him to get the picture back, and Malcolm, Malcolm, and Marcus can hear over the phone, and he thinks that they're talking about something else, and he makes them run back to his house, thinking that there's some shit going on. So, um, yeah, she gives him a reason. Julie starts to come on the Marcus, like I said. Um, oh, that's right. I, I yeah, you that. said all that. Yeah, no. She gives him a reason to check in on his. I said that too. Shit. Yeah. So after the the he hears the the mishap, um, he takes off, and they Marcus and Mike have their encounter outside later on in the kiddie pool, <laughs> and it's it, it basically ends with Mike Mike telling Marcus, you know, you're embarrassing yourself. Stop doing this. You're you're being paranoid. It ain't no one, especially me of all people, you know. Running around your wife, so get that shit out of your fucking head. Get back to the uh, to the um, witness, and yeah, let's make sure this isn't all for nothing. So, they go pay JoJo a visit, like Mike said before, and this time pulling a gun. Uh, Marcus screams in the background after. Yeah, it's like they're they're. He says something and gets a gun pulled out on him, because Mike, Mike's like, "You want some of this?" And he's like. <laughs> he's again and he goes so nope. sad and he goes so sad you're on your own Jojo and yeah, you hear him in like, the background throughout the whole scene like just just being exaggerated and, and, and shit like that talking yeah. about you know how it's gonna look And I laughed yeah he's like I don't wanna get no brain matter on me <laughs> it's just like just random quips like that I, uh, I just love Martin Lawrence yelling the whole time scaring uh, Jojo yeah and he eventually gives them an address that he's got in his uh, office. And, uh, yeah, this is on me, he keeps on saying. He says it like four or five times. And he's like, this on me. This is on me. So, I don't know. Do we want to sit here and talk about Marcus and Mike's little police tactics, especially from this scene? Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. Like, I mean, definitely Mike Lowry, a.k.a. Will Smith, He's definitely, like, an overachiever, like, a badass, and the tough guy. Like, he's definitely the bad cop in the relationship. Right. And then you got, um, you know, Marcus, a.k.a. Martin Lawrence. He's the everyman, just the normal cop. Like, you get the sense that he's been doing it longer, being a cop. I don't know if it's ever talked about in the movies, I forget. But at least it just seems like it to me, like, Marcus has been a cop longer uh, has a little more experience and just like a normal every guy and he's like kind of the good cop in the situation so right yeah you get it you get to kind of see that in this scene which is good okay so the trio they have a stakeout outside of kevin corrigan's nice ass mansion i was like wait a minute this chemist has this big ass nice ass fucking gorgeous mansion apparently and they follow him to the shipyard in the morning Marcus wants to call for backup, but Mike says that every phone in the station's tapped, so they got to do it in person. Meanwhile, Antoine is seen spotting them from afar with binoculars on his own. He can see them; they can see him. Um, 
And yeah, on the commentary track as well from this movie, Michael Bay implores fans not to think he steals from John Woo. The shootout scene at the hotel was filmed before the director ever saw a John Woo film. The style of the shootout was a result of the budget. Bay mentions that he would never... Uh, I'm sorry. Yeah, Bay mentions he would never tear the hotel apart if he could redo it today. There would be doves too. Everyone wouldn't explode. Um, and let's see. My other note here is Michael Bay will not stop talking about money. Um, yeah, there isn't too much else to gleam off of here, but uh, he explains why so few items are discussed. Every time he finds something that he doesn't like about the film, he blames the script and how little time that they had to shoot it. When he isn't harping on the budget, Bay resorts to silence. To, yeah, to silence. There are long, long and frequent pauses in the commentary. Sometimes minutes go by without Bay saying a word, either unable to find something he dislikes about the film or running out of ways to complain about the budget. <clears throat> um. So then we see the Marcus family, his sons rather. They're seeing the news report with uh. The other night, from the other night, with Marcus and Mike fighting outside. So, uh, yeah, Marcus is not in Cleveland. So, um, yeah, she takes off to go to Mike's condo while they're preparing themselves to move on to Antoine. And Teresa arrives, and Julie lets her in. Cat's out of the bag. Hi, can I help you? Yes, I'm here to kill my husband, Marcus Burnett. And that would be the tall one or the short one? The short one. Not so. Shed ring in the... Oh! Bang. Um, Teresa. Uh, let me get your husband. Marcus, get over here. Okay. I'm a... Because I know what it looks like. Did you get my message? Huh? Um... Can you um, um um leave me and Mrs. Burnett alone? For... Right. Y'all met, um, baby. I I know. So let me. Mar- Marcus, Marcus, I... Marcus. As far as I am concerned, you can keep the wedding ring in your pocket it's... because you, you your new little me, girlfriend. Baby. Ooh, shit. And this Mike will all be very happy living here. Trust me, sweetie. I... It's not even... Uh-uh, no, 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 no. I saw it on the news. Come on, that, that should be having a slant. Um, baby, it's not even... No, you're no longer welcome to my house. Listen, he didn't tell you I was coming in the airport early. Remember I said call uh-uh, and that you was no, going to bring me no. to your place? Hold on. Tell me about when I told you, man. You were going to bring me to Ju- your place? Julie! Julie! Ju- All right, Julie. I ain't even going, you know. Nah, we not arguing about it. Okay. I know, I love Martin Lawrence in this scene, too. Like, he's just trying to, like, keep the lie going, even though, obviously, the jig is up. Nobody else is buying it at this point. But I just love uh, the way Martin Lawrence acts. Like, just the look on his face, he's, like, trying to process what to do. And then he's like, hi, your husband's in there. Like, he's just trying to, like, talk to his wife and, like, explain it away. I, I don't know, I just love that little interaction when she walks in. Martin Lawrence does a good job there. Meanwhile, 
Antoine and his men show up in the lobby as Julie's leaving everyone. She's kidnapped and Mike chases them by foot in a slow losing effort in a uh, yeah, slow-mo. I'm sorry. Chases them by foot in a losing effort and then cue the trademark spinning slow-mo shot of the two looking defeated. <sighs> foot chase. Um, so the foot chase after the hotel shootout was all filmed in a single day. Michael Bay mentions that he sees a lot of similarities between this foot chase and a chase scene from Tony Scott's Enemy of the State, which also has Will Smith in a lead role. Michael Bay wanted Will Smith to be topless for this scene. However, Smith would only go as far as to do the scene in an unbuttoned dress shirt. So, I, I like this scene. I like this chase. Um, you got a lot of cool stuff in Miami um, that isn't typically showcased throughout the film. Um, like this little like river, little bridge that he that he's chasing him over, um, because they're getting away and he's you know playing. I mean, he's he's not far behind them. He you know for someone on foot, you know he's not. It's 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 not that bad of a race. He's pretty close. Um, and you know Michael Bay, like I said, he's that's what he wanted. Michael and Will Smith's like you know what I'll. I'll keeping the shirt but I'll unbutton it for you I'm willing to compromise so but I do want to go back real quick and talk about this shot that that afterwards that we see a lot in Michael Bay it's kind of like his trademark shot because we will actually see this shot again in his next film The Rock um I don't recall seeing it in Armageddon but you know it was just one of them early Michael Bay films shots that he liked to do and and look he pulled it off, and it looked good. So, just kind of curious as to what you think about the whole thing. I mean, it, yeah, it's a calling card. Like, when I see that, I definitely think of Michael Bay, and it does, it just adds, like, this chaos and energy uh, to it. You know, say what you will about Bay, but the man knows how to move a camera and add, you know, whatever he's trying to add, whether it's a sense of motion or um, just make a shot more interesting. The man knows how to move a camera around and it, uh, he does a good job um, in this part as well. So then uh, Antoine calls Mike and tells him that he put a board in his chemist, rest in peace, Kevin Corrigan, and will put another in Julie if they won't, if they don't allow him his four hours to get what he needs. So we are reintroduced to Marge Helgenberger, who is there to shut down the department and reassign everybody. So they access Dominguez, Eddie Dominguez, his private police database profile. Yeah, they finally access the fucking thing uh, through Francine. No, 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 not through her. I'm sorry. This is when it's revealed that Francine is a former girlfriend of Eddie Dominguez. Hence her resistance to, you know, getting the file open throughout the movie. Now we know why. Because <laughs> there was shit on there that they didn't, she didn't want them to see, which... Come on. Eventually, they were going to get that fucking file open and see it one way or another. So, she knew she was on borrowed time, I guess, where she had to have. Um, and, yeah. So, I mentioned her name before, Anna Thompson. Uh, she was just on. We just yeah, talked about her. The Crow. And she, you know what? She really had you know, uh, these roles in the 90s that came and went, 
and then that's it. We've never heard from her again for the most part. Like, I'm going to spitball some of these movies that she was in from the 90s. Um, of course, she's in the very opening scene from True Romance, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks. The Crow, we just talked about. Baby's Day Out. This. Um, there's, some, there's another one, too. Warlock. I mean, come on, man. Uh, there's another one, too. Uh, I think she was in Wyatt Earp. Um, Unforgiven. She was in Unforgiven. That's right, Unforgiven. So, you know, Anna Thompson had a big role in the, in, in the 90s in these movies. Um, so I, I'd be a fool if I didn't mention her. Uh, unfortunately, she doesn't really have too much to uh, do in this movie except for just look confused or scared for three quarters. Then the final act, it's like, oh, yeah, that's my boyfriend or ex-boyfriend, but we're no longer together and pretty much alludes to like some some nudes that were taken by uh, Dominguez and uh, Antoine that they uh, they used to blackmail her. Like, they threatened to post them at her, her kid's school if she didn't cooperate. So that's how she got conned into doing all this shit. Mike and Marcus go outside, and we got Sanchez and Ruiz. They're arguing over Lucille Ball and Desi. You know what? I can't believe we've gotten this far into the plot breakdown and we have yet to talk about Sanchez and Ruiz who were kind of like the rival partners to Marcus and and Mike in this movie. It's like the stereotypical Uh, cop movie. Uh, They're like the B team essentially. Yeah, but you know, Julio Oscar uh, Mecoso is uh, Ruiz and that dude has been in a lot. Speaking of, he was also in Jurassic Park 3. But not only this, um, he's popped up uh, in Blue Streak. He was in the film Virus. He was in um, uh, Phone Booth, Once Upon a Time Mexico, Lords. That's right, Lords of Dogtown. He played um, Tony Alva's father, who was like a real fucking strict asshole. Uh, Little Miss Sunshine, Grindhouse, blah, fuck, this, I mean, Machete, of course, uh, do you know who I'm talking about, uh, this, this, this actor, does he look familiar to you? Oh, yeah, 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 I recognized him, I mean, I, you know, I don't know everything he's been in, but yeah, he's been a prolific, uh, character actor, for sure. Well, the other ones, if you, well, just... A big actor overall, Nestor Serrano, who is, Jesus Christ, I mean, he dates back to Lethal Weapon 2, uh, Negotiator, Bringing Out the Dead, Empire, he's the guy who kills uh, John Leguizamo, spoiler alert for those of you who have never seen Empire. Um, Underrated Mo- flick. Is it? I liked it. I haven't seen it in quite some time. I had to go back and rewatch it before I can uh, back that comment up or not. I I liked it when I first saw it. You know, I was a, I was a blockbuster rental back in the day, baby. I just don't remember, if, you know, if it. I I just don't know if it holds up or not. I haven't seen the film in fucking ever. So, but no, I just, I really wanted to mention these two. Um, and yeah, I was talking about uh, Nestor Serrano. Um, I want to say, oh yeah, Banshee. He was also on that show, Banshee. Um, but yeah, this 
these two had to had to get them out. I had to mention them. I feel like they play a pretty uh, predominant role in the in in the in the film. Yeah, and you know, I'll I'll say this like you know, they nut up at the end. Like uh, you know, you kind of think maybe they're the leak or, you know, they're the bad guys or maybe they're spineless, but no, they ride with uh um Mike and Marcus at the end. So, yeah, obviously. Pretty much from this up. moment forward, like like I said, they're arguing outside over Lucille Ball and Desi and uh they come out to recruit them. And then we got Howard who calls in a favor and gets all the units to report to a location that he's unaware of for a moment or at the moment. It's Conrad. I'm calling in a favor. Eastbound towards Northwest 135th Street. Northeast. Keep going northeast. If I'm wrong about this, you can fire my ass. Now, this is what I need. I need a SWAT team, helicopters. We're calling all cars here, baby. Only I don't know where. And then we cut to they, they. Lo and behold, they're at the Miami airport at this uh, hangar number three, doing a major drug deal uh, that gets interrupted by the squad just as the deal finalizes. We get a fierce shootout. We get the the remainder of Fouché's henchmen getting killed, including Casper and Ferguson. Um, yeah, the the one guy I mentioned before, uh, the. Vic, uh, I forgot his last name already. His his character, um, uh, Vic Manny, Vic Manny, and uh, the the other guy that he's always arguing with throughout the movie. They die. Julie gets rescued. Um, after the studio refused to fund the final action sequence, Michael Bay paid the studio twenty five grand to shoot the scene himself. So this sequence here was funded by Michael Bay because Columbia did not want to finance it. They had given out enough money, I guess. Um, I'm pretty sure this is also the scene where Taylor Leone got knocked out by accident from uh, Martin Lawrence's stunt double. <laughs> Whoops. Yeah, she um, was. In, she it was a an AK-47 under the jaw that got her, and she ended up going to the hospital for it. So. What were you going to say? No, I I was just going to say, like, Bay was right. Like, they needed this end action sequence because, you know, I'm not going to say the action was bad throughout the movie, but, you know, the movie is definitely building to this. Like, you needed this big ending action sequence uh, to me to kind of put an exclamation point on the movie and really put it over the edge. Because, I mean, you know, you could see what Bay's going for. I mean, it's just... Everything you would expect, like the big bad guy with the white um, suit on gets shot up and the blood and the squibs going off. You got fucking mayhem and explosions everywhere. All the bad guys dying. The badass car chase. I mean, the movie needed that to me. You know, any any good, you know, cheesy 80s cop movie like this needs like a big ending scene in this. You know, it it delivers. So Especially when you're building up. For, to, towards something for as long as you have been because this, this you know it's worth mentioning this film is 118 minutes so you know I would hope you're building up towards something major so thank god uh, Michael Bay funded that that something otherwise this would have been a very underwhelming shitty I can't even think of the words at the top of my head right now for it you know 
type of film. Um, yeah, Michael Bay notes one of the the commentary for the film that one day he and the line producer Bruce Poston got into a heated argument over one shot, the shot from this scene where the bad guy's flaming body gets spit out of the camera, gets spit out of the exploding airplane. <laughs> I love that shot. <laughs> it's like, I think it's after he says you forgot your boarding pass, and he shoots, and like you see this body like just fly out of camera. It's comical, but it, it's entertaining. Yeah, everything was set up for the shot on the day they were going to film it, but weather kept them from achieving it. A week before production was set to complete, Pustin come back and um, Pustin announced before they wrapped. No, shit. Pustin announced that they wrapped. Bay argued that they didn't get the shot, that it was where the audience claps. Bay worked out overtime for the crew, uh, his own pocket. This also goes into the whole 25 grand that he shelled out. That's just kind of where it stems from, is that fucking shot. Um,. So yeah, back to the film. They chase a fleeing uh, Antoine. They uh, car chase down the runway that kind of ends with him smashing into a concrete barrier because there's only a room in the in the past. The cl- there's a clearing in the barrier. It's only a room allotted enough for one car. So Mike gets out. <laughs> I tell you, who doesn't get out? Antoine. He gets fucked up, tries running away, gets shot in the leg. Mike goes to arrest him. Um, he's begging to get shot. He's actually like leaning in towards the gun, but Mike has learned. He's he's a learner. He's like, I'm not gonna kill you. Nope, 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 nope. Marcus gets there. They're talking. All of a sudden, um, we see um. Uh, Antoine reached for this little golden gun, a gold plate gun that's like tiny, but it it's gold, and there's a gold reflection across Mike's face that Marcus sees, so they quickly both turn around and unload their fucking chambers into this poor schmo, killing him. Fouget, I bet when your punk ass woke up this morning, you didn't think about five o'clock, you have a hole in your leg, did you? Kill me, you chicken shit. Oh, no, I could. You're talking like it's over. I was just pausing. See, I'm starting to get the hang of this whole marksman shit, you know what I mean? That's shooting them from 30 yards while they're running away. No, that's not it. Here's where it is, right here. Point blank, up close and personal. Mike! That's what I'm talking about. What you do it? Mike! Step off! Do it. Oh, it's over. He's a joke. He's a motherfucking joke. <laughs> Shit. He's a joke. Pretty much it. Uh, we see 
An exhausted Marcus leaves Julie with Mike and heads home, eager to be reunited with his wife, and that's that's it. While filming the shot of the Cobra driving out of the back of the plane, the, the uh, vintage vehicle crashed off camera. Michael Bay explains that this is why most of the shots involving the car are shot with tight close-ups of Cario driving it instead. A new Cobra was finally attained before they had to film the end chase scene. And my first of my two last notes for this. Michael Bay mentions on the commentary a fight that he had with Will Smith over the end of the production. It was one of the last shots of the movie where Bay wanted Smith to say, Hey man, I love you, to Martin Lawrence. But he felt they would show Smith's character's softer side. But the actor decided to do it. Um, the actor decided on the day they were to shoot it that he didn't want to say the line. Bay remembers it. Bay remembers the argument lasted an hour and a half. Taylor and Martin Lawrence joined in at some point. Bay finally relented, saying Smith didn't have to say the line. He then pointed to the setting sun and explained to Smith, "That's motherfucking nature, and she's not fucking waiting for us." <laughs> they shot the scene and Smith said the line I gotta go back and read that again so I guess they're crunched for time because it was kind of late in the day and this is something Michael Bay did he pointed to the sun in the background that was setting and says to Will Smith that's the mother that's motherfucking nature and she's not fucking waiting for us yeah <laughs> <laughs> Come on, that's gold. Um, and then real quick, my last note here for the film is Michael Bay has gone on record about his dissatisfaction with the ultimate cut of the film. He expressed dissatisfaction with several specific shots, including the car chase following the club hell sequence and one shot in which a character is uh, ejected from an exploding airplane. Um, yeah, that's Bad Boys from 1995, Michael Bay. All right. <laughs> Let's, um, talk box office receipts. In the operational funds box, we will deposit 250,000 American dollars. You take it out. We put more in. I want receipts. So the film was released on April 7th, 1995 from Columbia Pictures. It opened up across 2,132 screens, opening up in first place, 15.5 million. Second weekend, also first place, 11 million. It only dropped 29% second weekend. It's pretty fucking good. It's uh, a yeah. positive word of mouth right there. Total film... Total gross was $141.4 million against a $19 million budget. Yeah, big hit. I mean, I I think uh, the stars had probably a lot to do with it as well. I mean, Martin Lawrence and Will Smith were just breaking out and just fucking appealing to everybody. You know, just pretty much any part of the U.S., I think. Those guys had fans, and then, like you said, the word of mouth. I think everybody was like, whoa, this is a slick-looking movie. And I think those two combined to make this, like, just a surprise fucking hit for everybody. All right, let's go over to uh, the Critics Corner. Let's see what they had to say about the movie.
Bad Boys has a Rotten Tomato score of 42%. That's based on 64 reviews with a critical consensus saying Bad Boys stars Will Bad Boys stars Will Smith and Martin Lawrence have enjoyable chemistry. Unfortunately, director Michael Bay too often drowns it with set pieces and explosions in place of an actual story. I disagree with this. I think yeah. Bay does a stand-up job balancing the two while keeping the viewer engaged for its longer than normal runtime. That's my two cents. You're you're in, you're entitled to disagree all you want. So, the film has a meta score of 41 out of 100 based on 24 reviews, a cinema score of A, and uh yeah, high praise from Ebes. He um Noted that despite the highly energetic approach of the two lead actors and the visual style of the film, their acting talents were mostly new wine and old bottles. He illustrated that many of the elements featured in the film included both the plot and characters, uh, including the plot and characters both uh, had been recycled from other films, particularly those from the Lethal Weapon and Beverly Hills Cop series, Recurrent stock characters, police, de- police, detective cliches, and overlong action scenes. In describing the archetypal, yeah, in describing the archetypical cop buddy genre action scene adhered to by the and 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 here to by the film, Ebert noted, whenever a movie like this starts to drag. There's always one infallible solution. Have a car chase and then blow something up real good. Ultimately, he gave the film two out of four stars. His partner, Gene Siskel, said that he had lost interest in the film after its introduction due to the very formulaic approach and repeat Roger Ebert's criticism that the talent of the lead actors were wasted suggesting that the production company did not spend significant time producing a script which would be suitable for their talents. He, too, gave the film two out of four stars. David Kerr from the New York Daily Times gave it two out of five, said entertainment of the grattingly, of, of the grattingly commercial teeth-rattling variety is provided, is provided in Bad Boys. It is a very... Weird, oddly worded review from David Kerr. Jonathan Rosenbaum from the Chicago Reader said, The cops never seem to know what they're doing, but then neither do the filmmakers. Though I can't imagine that casual audiences will care since they are plenty of, there are plenty of big explosions at the end to reward them. Owen Gleiberman from EW gave it a C- and said, of course, the Simpson-Bruckheimer approach may still work at the box office, the only place it really ever did anyway. By now, though, I'd like to think that most moviegoers have had a permanent overdose. Fuck you. Uh, Virtually everyone universally agreed that, yes, it's big and explosive and features young, hot actors and actresses with... with, uh, some big ass set pieces, but the script is garbage and the movie suffers dearly because of that. Alright, let's um let's talk about what we thought of the film and start with some little and start with pros and cons. Before I take on any job, I look at it the same way as it takes to make the thing 
positive versus negative. Now, you mix a little bit of this with a little bit of that, and you get a reaction. All right, pros for me. Uh, I got four. A lot of the humor still sticks. Um, incredible pacing for a two-hour action film from a first-time uh, film director, Jerry Bruckheimer. And my last pro is real good action from left to right. Yep, yep, yep. How about you? Well, obviously, I have to start out with my first pro is the chemistry between uh, Smith and Lawrence. Uh, it just seems natural, you know. It it just works. Like I could totally see those two just being buddy buddy, and uh, just going through life being friends. So it translates to the screen. I think if that doesn't work, then this movie completely falls apart, no matter how good anything else is. So yeah, the chemistry for them is definitely my top pro. Um, my next pro is Michael Bay, just his direction, uh, you know, say what you will about him, but I've never sat in a movie of his and just been bored either. You know, I I might feel one way or another about the movie. I'm not saying I like all his movies, uh, but it's always interesting. You know, the man knows how to put a shot together, make it interesting, knows how to make things look good. Knows how to just keep energy flowing, you know, just between the way the quick cuts are or just the way the camera moves or just the way he has a shot layered and textured. Uh, you know, the man knows what he's doing and is seriously good at his craft um, and just adds a layer of shine onto any of his movies uh, that no matter what I know visually I'm going to enjoy. And this movie's no exception. Um, like I said, he's definitely a big pro i think the movie looks uh great and that just translates well uh to when i'm watching it and then my last pro is the action yeah the action is good like it actually has squibs and some violence in it so big ups to that you know nowadays everything's cgi um the end action scene is great like i said it's everything i hoped it could be guys getting fucking blown away big ass explosions um, the big crime boss with the white suit getting blown away. Um, <laughs> it had pretty much everything I could expect. Um, so yeah, those are my main pros. All right, let's talk about cons then. Um, I got three. Not all the humor holds up. I mean, yeah, it sticks, but it doesn't always hold up. Um, villain in this movie makes more questionable decisions than I remember him making and Tay Leone that, I just put her name on there so um, how about you yeah my cons are pretty similar uh, my biggest con is what you said some of this stuff doesn't age so the misogyny and the homophobicness in this as well you know, I don't have a problem necessarily if you're going to throw a joke in there like, you know, two characters are misunderstood to be gay or whatever, and there might be a joke in there, but just the way it's handled in this, and I'm not blaming Bay or Martin Lawrence or Will Smith or anybody in particular. That's just the way stuff was back then. Uh, you know, we were far less enlightened than we are today um on those things and that's just how it was portrayed in mainstream media where uh you know it's it's just cringeworthy watching it now and i could definitely do without that so that was a big con um 
my other big con is like you said definitely uh the writing uh i think you mentioned earlier script is kind of shitty and i agree with that i mean i think it's formulaic i think there's maybe a few good things but for the most part it's just kind of your standard script and not that great i think the reason like i said it elevates is because of the ad libs and the chemistry between the two leads but the script itself eh you know there's there's quite a bit of dialogue that i didn't like there's quite a bit of decisions that don't really make any sense so yeah the writing not the greatest in this one and my last con is the villain as well and it's not only the decisions it's just the villain to me needs to be almost over the top in this type of movie you know when you think about like an 80s buddy cop i want like a big villain you know i'm not saying it's got to have a ton of backstory or a ton of screen time i mean the movie's already two hours long but at least if you're not going to have any of that at least make the villain somewhat memorable other than like he's french like there's really nothing so i could have did with like a more memorable villain that they could have went up against nice so we're at mulligan moment now If you had to do it all over again, would you make the same choices? You go first. How about that? So I mentioned it in my cons, but my mulligan, it's not even a moment, but I just wish Taylorini was recast. I'm not a big fan of hers in general. I don't particularly like her in anything, but I don't know. I think she was a little miscast. I think they should have went slightly younger maybe a little bit more naive. I mean, I see what they were going for, like a streetwise, you know, chick in this movie, been around the block, I guess, but it Taylor doesn't come off as that. She just comes off as like a middle-aged mom and she's an imposter kind of to me. Like it, she doesn't quite jive with uh, the um, other women in this movie and the feel. So I, I wish they would have just went with somebody different like I said, maybe younger, maybe naive, maybe rewrite some of that. To me, the whole character, her whole character doesn't work. She's just annoying. I don't care about her. I don't want to see any more of her. And I, the whole time I'm watching, I'm just thinking, just get back to Martin Lawrence and Will Smith, for Christ's sakes. I could do it without uh, this whole thing. So that would be mine. Just recast that character to me. You know what? For my Mulligan moment, everything you just said goes double for me. All right, let's go on to finger licking good. Finger licking good. This one I can put down because I, I I did write a note for this. Uh, for me, it's when Julie gets caught and like everything from her being caught in the escape to Mike or Marcus rather going back to you know get her in the whole like chase scene. I just feel like those moments. There's like it's like the most action packed of the movie, and therefore like that's just kind of like I I enjoy watching them scenes because you know I can depict I could have picked the the finale at the hangar, even though I feel like that's a a, a, a sped up finale. Um, I don't know, just something that just draws me to the film everywhere from the moment she you know escapes the clutches of of Antoine and his men. Uh, jumping 150 feet down into two feet of pool and surviving. Everything from that to, you know, her frantically calling upon Marcus or Mike and him going for her and she initially attacks, but then 
you know, just stops. Then they get chased out by the goons and all. And I don't know, just just enjoy that. I don't, I don't, I don't know. There's not really too many standout scenes in this movie overall. You have to remember that um, when you're when you're, you know, in regards to bad boys. So. Um, and that being said, what's your finger looking moment? Your finger, finger looking good moment, Corey. Well, a close one for me would be the very opening. I just love them arguing in the car and I just love the carjacking and then how they handle all that just because it's a good introduction to the characters. It's funny. They have a couple of funny scenes. Plus it's Kim fucking Coates, uh, in a cameo. So I like that, but I couldn't pick that just because, I don't know, it just doesn't stand out enough to me, I guess, and it's kind of a short scene. So mine would definitely have to be the ending hangar sequence. I forgot how good that was, honestly. I, I, when I was going back to rewatch it. I was like, what is the finale again? Oh yeah, airplanes or something? And then I rewatched it and I was like, yes, like I love this. The fucking huge explosions, like, you know, Bay earns his uh, fucking reputation right here with this. Like the, you definitely get the boom uh, and the bang right here. I mean, it's just like you get it all. Like uh, I love seeing the squibs and the blood flying. I love seeing the explosions, right. the car chase, the cheesy lines, the cops going in on their own, like the little squad, and then all the SWAT guys coming at the end. Like it's just stereotypical, but fucking enjoyable. <laughs> so yeah, I I have to give it to the ending airport scene. All right. Uh, let's give out our movie MVPs. All right, now you might think I'm a little biased, but I take my job as a presenter very seriously. I will show no favoritism. I am here to honor excellence. The most valuable player is... And for me, I'm going to hand this one to Martin Lawrence. I, I, I really think that this is like the one film of the of the series where he gets to be, you know, that lead and the the the, the head guy and hell that guy and I think he does a good job and I, I like him throughout the whole entire movie. Um I, I think he's a more grounded character than the Mike Lowry character. And um yeah, I mean he gets a little awkward around his wife too much, but other than that, you know, he's my uh Standout favorite character of this movie. So, how about you, Cord? I want to give it to Joey Pants so bad. Like, hmm. I, I'm just like sitting there, I'm like trying to justify it. Well, he's not in it a whole lot. I mean, he's pretty good in it, but it's definitely not the best part of this character. I would say the sequel, like you said, obviously is the best of that character. So, I'm like, oh, I can't put Joey Pants, but I love him so much. Um, and then I thought about Will Smith. Because it is neat just going back and watching early Will Smith because uh, nowadays with all his roles, they're so middle of the road just because he's Will Smith and he has to appeal to everybody. Obviously, now he's got other issues, but, right. um, you know, he has to like there's just so many rules like because he has so much say on what he does and doesn't do. So his characters are all middle of the road, but it's good going back to this and watching it because his character's kind of an asshole in a lot of the movie like. You know, he's likable and he's charismatic, but he is also a jerk to a lot of people in the movie. So it was interesting going back and watching the Will Smith stuff, but it has to be Martin Lawrence. I mean, 
if you take him out of this movie and replace him with somebody else, I don't know if I like this movie nearly as much. Hmm. Uh, to me, it's the Martin Lawrence and, you know, Bay directing combo that really gets me coming back to this. Because, like I said, I'm not a huge fan of Martin Lawrence's stand-up per se, but I think he translates very well to the comedy aspect in this movie because he's playing the everyman and, you know... He, he basically gets shit on in several different opportunities. And I think Martin Lawrence does it very well of like just this normal guy in these ridiculous situations and can't catch a break, uh, you know, with his home life or with his work life. So yeah, I think he just handles it very well. And I still get, I still laugh and he still gets chuckles out of me watching this movie every time. So yeah, Martin Lawrence for me too. Let's do final ratings. I say we uh, tie a bow on it and put her to bed. All right, I'm going to give the film a final rating of three and a half out of five stars. Um, it's just it's it's there's so much more to this series that this series is going to you know craft in in future films, uh, and this is just a good stepping stool for that. And um, yeah, that's why I have no problems giving this three and a half out of five. Uh, so for me, it's definitely a three out of five. Uh, you know, I'm rating it obviously as, you know, just a buddy cop action movie. And I think the movie delivers on that very well. Um, you know, I think I went into it before, but bad boys two is definitely my favorite. I know a lot of people might pick this one as their favorite out of the franchise, but you know, I, I, I've just always appreciated the second one, which obviously we're going to cover that later in the Bayhem month. Uh, but this one is still an enjoyable watch. Um, you know, do I think it's a little maybe overly long? Eh, it doesn't feel long, so it's not that bad, but I am surprised to this day that this movie's two hours long. Um, but yeah, it's just enjoyable. You can just shut your brain off. You can enjoy the chemistry between the leads. You can enjoy some laughs, some slick camera work, some slick action, and just the throwback to the eighties buddy cop comedy. So yeah three stars and it's one I've always enjoyed and have fond memories of. So I'll keep on enjoying. Nice. All right. Well, this episode is sponsored by trust. Don't be like Marcus and Mike. Be honest, be faithful, be careful and have trust. Honesty is everything. And that's going to put a bow on our bad boys conversation from Michael Bay a film that 100% gets that film effect seal of approval. That'll bring things home for this edition of the show. One down, many more to follow. Check out our ever-growing collection of previous episodes over at our website, which is thefilmeffectpodcast.com. And please follow us on the following social media platforms for all future announcements and up-to-the-minute movie news and updates. We're on Facebook and Instagram at Film Effect Podcast. We're at Twitter. I'm sorry. Facebook and Instagram at The Film Effect Podcast. Follow along on Twitter at Film Effect Pod. If you're a TikToker, then we're TikTokers. Follow along at Film Effect Podcast. And finally, shoot those emails over to The Film Effect Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, guys, if you have quick time, a few minutes out of your day just to do a quick rating, review, whatever it may be, whatever your freedom has enough, a lot of time to do, uh, it would mean the world to us. Uh, it also helps us get known. Algorithm, it's a thing. Um, so yeah, that's that. 
Check out an all-new episode this Friday of FewerCast featuring myself, Justin, Corey, Andrew, and Sean. Um, thanks to everyone who listened to our bat our Batman who listened to our Robocop episode last week. Um, honestly, we have yet to have uh, a, a, an episode pulling numbers the way that one has. So um, definitely our best first week for a movie. Um, who knows? We'll see how uh, this one does. But I've definitely noticed a trend. So more and more people are checking us out first week. And hopefully they're sticking around. Hopefully you're listening to this for your first time. And you're going to stick around too. And yeah. Other than that, uh, next week, Bayhem continues. We have an episode on Armageddon featuring myself and Sean. Um, <laughs> Just be prepared to hear Sean's rendition of Don't Want to Miss a Thing. I guarantee it's coming, people. I guarantee you, you're going to want to miss that thing. <laughs> I'm just joking. And uh, yeah, other than that, uh, later on this month, check out episodes on The Rock featuring myself and my brother, Andrew. As well as Pain and Gain featuring myself and Justin. And then we will be back the final week of May to close out Bayhem Month with uh, the sequel, Bad Boys 2. With uh, myself and you, Corey, coming back. We started it. We're going to finish it. So, uh, yeah. Other than that, um, lots of stuff to listen to. Lots of stuff to look forward to. Other than that, in the meantime, until next week, or until Friday with fewer casts, whichever, uh, however you look at it, that's going to be um, that. So, Corey, thanks as always for uh, doing this, for joining, and uh, anything you want to add before we get out of here? Nah, just thank you for everybody who's checking out the uh, new episodes. I mean, like you mentioned, the numbers are relatively, the numbers are going up. It's a relatively new thing for us to see that level. So yeah, thanks for anybody that's checking it out. I really appreciate it. Well, until next Tuesday with Armageddon, it's been fun, but now it's done. Take care now. Bye-bye. And remember, you don't want to miss a thing. This concludes our broadcast day.